Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And boy, oh boy, what a fun weekend of sport it has been. We're in quite a, a good mood, really, to, to chat about so much football in this show tonight. We're going to be talking Whitecaps, we're going to be talking MLS, we're going to be talking Gold Cup, Canada, Canadian Premier League. So much to cram in. You know it's going to be a long one, but you know it's going to be a good one. I don't know about you guys, I have had a Sunday from start to finish that's just been jam-packed with, with sport. Took the dog out in the morning, then after that, it's just been non-stop sport for me. Watched the darts. Scotland's Peter Wright won the world match play. That was a lot of fun. Then there was the Montreal game. Then there was the Canada game. Then there was the Seattle game. Then there was the American game. Oh, lots of fun. You guys had a feast of football, or did you actually manage to do some things with your family? I played darts yesterday. Uh, and today, yeah, oh, I actually watched the Vancouver game this morning and then uh, moved on to the um, the Montreal game. I didn't really watch anything in between that. And then and then the Canada game. I, I uh, Today I went to work, uh, which was fun. Got on a to, Sunday? Who works on a Sunday? The first day of the week, man. Got to get it in. Um, it was great. Uh, and then uh, spent some time with the family, went and watched my nephew play some baseball, hence my, hence my attire. From back in the day, from back in the day. This, hat, this shirt I bought way, way long time ago because where I grew up. And then my sister bought this for my son and I years ago. Oh, I thought you were meaning he was now playing for a Toronto side. I was... Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, we've got a lot to talk about. But before we get into any of that, we're going to start the show the way we start all our weekend shows. We're opening up Steve Panda's Christmas gift to myself and Zach, the gift that keeps on giving. His 2011, well... Not just his, but everyone's 2011 Upper Deck MLS Soccer Trading Card Pack. We're opening a pack a week. We're putting them together. We're picking our best 11 as we open them. And yeah, let's just get into the latest card opening because we've got so much to get through. We'll just do this pretty quickly. I'll go I'll go right now. Mine is a card you have, Michael. It's uh, a gentleman who came over from Macclesfield Town. Does anyone know who this is? Mackie. 
Ooh, I don't know. He's a Mac lad, but I'm not sure. He, he came by the MLS Super Draft? No. He's not the most famous person in his family. Oh, Rooney, oh wait, it's Rooney's John brother. Rooney. John, John Rooney. Get have, in, Rooney. I've got two of him. Oh, nice. I only have one. If, if only he was a bit better and it was actually worth something as his rookie card. Ooh. I might actually have a double here. I can't remember if I've got him or if you've got him. He's but got I'm, better hair than Wayne. Yes, well... More we real. We won't be talking about Wayne's latest indiscretion on this show. <gasps> really? He yes. Did another thing. Another thing. I was I was preaching on the Ten Commandments this morning. <laughs> he obviously wasn't listening to you. Right, my first card. This might be a double. It might be that Zach's got him. He's from Colorado Rapids. You didn't see him coming. It's Omar Cummings. I got him last week. But that you must be. That must be what it is then. I, I don't have this guy, but I know you do. It's uh, Santino Quaranta from DC United. Oh. Well, I've got Philadelphia Union. He's a mid... No, oh, he's a defender. It's Danny Califf, an MLS oh, nice. vet. Yeah, I remember him. Now, this guy, I got to check. I'm, this might, could be my first double. I know you have him for sure. It's TFC's defender, Ty Harden. Oh, yes. I've got a Harden. Uh, my next one is FC Dallas goalkeeper, long-time guy in the league. It's Chris Seitz. I have... Got him in my sights. From the Boston Breakers, Leslie Osborne. I don't think I have Leslie. Oh. But I'll, I'll check these all in a moment. Again, this could be a double, or it might be one that you've got. From RSL midfielder Arturo Alvarez. Oh, I can't remember now. Uh, this is one you have. It's the flounder in my pack. It's the right back, James Riley. Oh. Well, again, this could be a double, or you have it, from Houston, midfielder, Brad Davis. Oh, yeah, I, I think you have two and I have one. Great. My last one is a player you have, I'm pretty sure, and he's wearing his USL kit. It's the Portland Timbers, Ryan Poor. Oh. That's a good card. Well, my, my last card... I, I don't know whether to send this back to Upper Deck to get my money back on it because it, it's broken. It's it's not in it's not in good shape. It's Vancouver Whitecap midfielder John Thorrington. Oh, <laughs> nice! Sick note himself. Well, he's doing he's doing quite well for himself right now, right? Yeah, very, very aptly that we've got him tonight. Is he with, is he with the Galaxy or the LFC? I can't remember. LFC. LFC. Well, that is our card opening for this week. We're going to get into the football chat now because we've got a lot to get through. We're going to kick things off talking Whitecaps, LAFC 2, Vancouver Whitecaps 2, the Whitecaps, two goals up. Not the first time this season they've been in the lead and they've given a lead up. They've come away with a, a point, a draw, and you've come away feeling it feels like a defeat because they could have got a little bit more out of the game. I'm not feeling that as much in this one. I think there's a lot of positives in that. There's a lot of strong foundations for them to build upon over the remaining 19 games. I, I was proud of the team to a man. I thought they put in a hell of a shift. I thought it was a great performance. Just before we get into the ins and outs of the game, what did you make of it overall, Steve? I thought it was a decent performance. Um the mistakes on the goals allowed were like minor mistakes that, you know, you really got to chalk it up to LA uh, for their finishing and everything like that. And it wasn't like, 
There was a few helter-skelter moments, but especially at the beginning, but overall not too bad defensively. And attacking-wise, I thought they did really well. They really were showing something that they haven't shown most of the year in their attack and the way that they built up the play and, and got into dangerous positions. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's good points there, Steve. I mean, Zach, they were on the front foot from the start, which is something that's been a bit different to, to what we've seen in games. They've had slow first halves. We've talked about it so much this season. But in this one, the blueprint was obviously take the game to LFC. There was a lot of occasions in that first half. It was 3v3, and the Whitecaps attack looked lively. Going into this, if you'd said... You'd come out with a two-all draw, considering how the last two trips to the bank have gone. You would have bitten someone's hand off for it. I think one of us did say it was going to be a two-all draw. You did. I was waiting to see how long it took you to get that well, in. But Oh, you, you said it. But I mean, hey, um, right, let's not forget a broken clock is right twice a day. True. But, but um, no, I mean... Yeah, I think they would. Have, I think they would have taken it, but it, it, like you, you know, we we've talked about, like you were talking about on Twitter, it, it is an element of you know, drop two points when you when you have a two 0 lead. Um, I, I think one of the most encouraging things was, uh, well, there's a, 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 many encouraging things for the Whitecaps from this game. First off, the way they played in the first half, like mm-hmm. is that that's our that, like that's maybe hands down the best first half of the season. I'd say so. And it was, I think, overall one of the best performances of the season. Yeah. E- even though they didn't get all three points. Well, yeah, and like a big thing for me was after they gave up the equaliser, they could have like easily crumbled. But they then took the game to LAFC. They didn't want to just sit back and grind out the point. They actually wanted the winner. And I thought that was refreshing to see as well. It was a team that felt like it had a lot of self-belief. They felt that they could do something. And there was three changes to the starting lineup. Javane Brown came in, Eric Godoy came in at the back, Kyle Alejandre came in in the midfield. I was surprised that they kept the, the front three unchanged. I mean, they'd been playing well. I do like going with in-form, momentum, building that chemistry. But I thought there might be a little bit of tiredness there, Steve. But if there was, they certainly didn't show it because they were fresh as a daisy right off the, the first whistle. Yeah, no, there there was no sign of tiredness. Even late into the game, there was very little sign of it. Um, uh, the, the the thing is, the three the changes to the starting lineup were all upgrades in every oh, position. Yeah. So that was the best thing about that, that it was probably their strongest. It's, it was, it's basically the strongest uh, lineup they could have put out there like uh, barring injuries and international call-ups. So there was no, uh, there was no like keeping it, you know, in the cupboard or whatever, or keeping it on the bench ready to go in the second half. They went for it right off the bat. And that was a good thing. Um, Overall, I think, yeah, I I agree with you. I thought there might be a minor change in the starting three, the front three, uh, but nothing. And it didn't, it didn't harm them at all throughout the whole game. And the good thing about it, Steve, is we're, we're seeing Brian White now getting a, a good bit of chemistry with Dahomey and Caicedo. And he's not the fastest striker in the world. We talked about that on the show last week. But it was a much better performance today. And like his, his build-up in the first goal, if, if we look yeah. at that, 25 minutes in, 
And it was an even contest. Both sides had chances. Caicedo had whipped a, a really dangerous ball to the back post. There was no takers. That was a disappointing one. But it was Caicedo that then put the Whitecaps in the lead. And there's a lot to like about this goal. And from every aspect from start to finish, Javain Brown's ball forward. It was like perfectly weighted, lovely lob forward to Brian White, who controls it well in his chest, brings it down, first time pass out to Dahomey, who's anticipating it. He whips the ball in quickly. Yes, it was it was cut out. And you're thinking, ah, oh, maybe that could have been a better cross. But the anticipation then from Caicedo, a lot of strikers would just have been like, ah. Oh. But he kept on it, he followed it in, he poked it home. I thought it was overall a really good team goal, Steve. Yeah, it, and the thing is, you're talking about the cross, though, but the cross came with such oomph that mm-hmm. they weren't able to handle it. That's how why Casita was able to get to it. He wasn't the... I, I can't remember who was the uh, LAFC defender. Uh, I think it was the uh, the Korean defender, the new assignment. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, mm-hmm. And and he, was, he, he wasn't able to clear it because there was such oomph on it, and it, that kind of harmed the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper had a uh, probably could have got his hands to it. But because of that, Casido didn't get let up. He kept going to the net. Like a, in the past, a lot of Whitecaps have done where they let up once the first initial maybe slowdown of the ball comes. And, but he kept going, went to the net, found it, and departed home. Easy goal. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, it, it was a half clearance, Zach, or half moon, I guess you, you could kind of say. But Casido's anticipation of it, I, I thought was excellent. But every aspect of it, as I said, like Brown, White, Dahomey, Caicedo, the four of them, great link-up play. Possibly one of my contenders for goal of the season so far. I know we've not had a, a lot to to pick from, but I like team goals. I, I, I was just like the quick movement of it. Yeah, I was just going to say, it felt like one of the better team goals. And I mean, it had not been for, you know, um, the, the fullbacks kind of interference to kind of lay it on a plate for you know, um, diver than, you know, if, if it kind of just come across and he smashed it in, it would definitely be the, the best team goal of the year. But it, it was, it was one of those things where, yeah, even though the, the finish wasn't beautiful, the buildup was like, uh, we, uh, I think rightly so there's been some criticism or at least questioning of the qualities of, of Brian White, especially yeah. in regards to his pace. And yet on that play, he showed that not every player has to have pace to bring something to the team. His hold-up play, his control with his chest, his his uh, his volleyed pass. Like it was all it was all quality and it and it was decisive in, in giving Vancouver the lead. Absolutely. And I mean, one nil up, you're like, wow, this is fantastic. I I was just happy that it had got to the 14th minute and we weren't four goals down. I mean, I took that as a positive. Maybe we weren't even one goal down by that point. It was that good a performance. So one up, they kept pressing forward and their tails were up. They were super confident. And then it was no big surprise really when they went two goals up in the 38th minute. And again, a lot to like in this goal, Steve. Like Christian Gutierrez's free kick, the delivery, pinpoint, onto the head of the homie, not the biggest guy on the pitch, totally unmarked. Great header, perfectly placed into the, the side net and 2-0 Whitecaps. Yeah, there was a good weightness on the ball. Basically, it, it, it came into the box nice and easy. There wasn't too much, because if it was too much power into, into the cross, then he wouldn't have been able to handle it. 
perfectly spotted. He he uh, met the ball in the right spot, basically. And he knew, I felt like he knew who he, what he was doing when he was lofted it over the keeper. Not a direct, but just got it up there over the over the keeper and into the back of the net. Uh, like, we've seen this a lot from them. They, they're really good at uh, converting these um, uh, set pieces. Yeah. And but the one thing I, I was going to go on on these on these set pieces, I, the majority of them I've seen, Baldissimo has been used too much of a uh, um, a decoy, and eventually they're going to have to use them. Otherwise, they're going to see the yeah. videos. It's going to be delivered. They got to give a Baldi a chance to send it in as well, just to keep it fresh. Otherwise, they're going to be taking care. So they just uh, other than that, because it happened later on, where uh, I think late in the game, the last kick of the ball. Every, they seemed like yeah. LAFC all knew that Gutierrez was going to get it. But, so they just got to change it up a little bit. But on this one, perfect delivery. Yeah, like you guys said, a good set piece. And it was like one of those sort of, not like hugely looping, but sort of looping header into the corner where the keeper has no chance. And it it was, he, he continues, the homie continues to show that he is a diverse attacking player. And he is, I think, at this moment, the brightest spot in terms of the players brought in other than maybe Max Cripo in the in the MDS era mm. at Vancouver Whitecaps. Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. He He's definitely got a lot of upside and he's getting more and more comfortable in the league. He's getting more and more comfortable with who he's playing with. And like him and Caicedo together, I mean, I've been going on about Colombian connection and everything like that, but there's there's that chemistry there. There's that understanding there. And it's been a while since it's felt like we've had that kind of connection on a team. Cava and Freddie Montero kind of had a bit of a connection like that last year, but these two have kind of elevated that. So, I mean, it's 2-0 up. Dreamland and La La Land. The key was to get into halftime unscathed. Two minutes later... LAFC's pulled one back. Carlos Vela, obviously a guy you don't want to give a chance to. It was a three ball. Took it on perfectly. Put it away. The flag went up for offside. As soon as you saw the replay, you're like, yeah, it's it's not. He's onside. And he, he took it well. Not really much Thomas Sassal could do with that, Steve. Yeah, um, no, no chance there. Minor... Minor hiccup by Baldi in the midfield. He didn't really. He he wasn't able to either contain, or um, you know, the contain or the, re- remove the ball off the play, uh, LFC player. I can't remember who it was now. Uh, but uh, uh, once Atuesta. that came in, it was it. Okay, so once that ball came in, uh, yeah, Vela was basically off to the races. They had a couple of LAFC uh, people right up top, so they were they were kind of even. There was no. Uh, they couldn't like double team Vela there. They had to respect the other player as well. Um, and then for me though, the VAR decision, I'm I'm my I, it might have been offside, but first of all, the angle was horrible. You couldn't really tell. You'd have it to was do definitely some guessing. Close. Yeah. It, but was it close enough to go to VAR? That's the question. And I feel like uh, Van in a, in a way, uh, maybe it's the conspiracy theory in me, but I think Vancouver got Concacaf there, essentially. <laughs> I, I I think it was a I think it was a fair one, and Vela took it 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 well, Zach. If they could have held on to half time, could have been all so different. You knew what was coming in the second half, and for me, 
Zach, it kind of broke down into... You had to look at this as a game of five-minute intervals. That's how I was looking at it. Every five minutes that passed, I was like, okay, they've survived that. Okay, they've survived that. Okay, they've survived that. I just wish, and I asked Mark about this afterwards, and we'll, we'll hear from MDS in a bit. I think they should have made the subs a little bit quicker. And I think that ultimately proved very costly for them. I think it's, I think, yes, absolutely. And I think we talked about that in our chat. But it's more than that, Michael. I think you can't just look at the Vancouver subs. I think you need to go right to the halftime. Oh, of course. Yeah. How could I forget? Four subs from Bob Bradley. Exactly. And I think, honestly, and, you know, he might deny this or he may not say it publicly or he might not want to disrespect his, his friend and former colleague. But I really think he did that for two reasons. One, to yeah, to shake up the side and be like, hey, this has not been good enough. Like you would expect when you're losing to a team that you think you should be beating in your own building at halftime. Two, the other reason why I think he did it, Michael, was because he knows he's observed in their scouting. It's, I think, well known in the league that the Whitecaps, MDS, has not used subs a lot. They, they don't show by how they use their subs that they believe in their bench. Uh, they have a limited bench, as we know. But And so I think it was – I think that decision by Bradley and his staff, I think, was game-changing. And I think it was twofold. Shake up the team and, hey, they're not going to make subs until at least the 65 – or 70th or 75th minute. So let's get four fresh players out there and let's go do our thing. And I think and that, they certainly took the game to Vancouver oh, oh, at the start of that oh, second half. And, and that combined with waiting until the 75th minute was, was what did it. Because when you go back and you watch the giveaway for the equalizing goal was, it felt like just because those players were so tired, that's why they gave the ball away. Yeah. I, I like, think that heavy that's legs fair. all over the pitch. I mean, the thing with that, Steve, like at the start of the second half, like I said, you knew LA were just going to, take it straight to Vancouver. And they, they held on gamely. It was quite resolute defending. But they were struggling to launch their own attacks, which then struggled to take the pressure off the defence. So as soon as they got forward, they lost the ball and then another wave came. The, the subs were waiting to come on. And Mark does say maybe he should have got them out a couple of minutes earlier. Could it have made a difference? Possibly. I think it would have. But... It was disappointing. Great, great goal for the equaliser, though, from Sifuentes. But Brown got burned in that. And yeah, I mean, what do you make of that? For me, the biggest issue with that second goal was, uh, and this is probably where the tiredness comes in, because for me, the tiredness wasn't really going forward. It was more coming back. And Dahomey didn't get back on the wide area. And that way, Brown had to stick with somebody and then had to switch off uh, to uh, to the crosser. And that that's where I think the tiredness came in. And I think, but I, I but I don't know if that would have made a difference because the homie played the whole game. So I don't know if the substitution would have made a difference there because it was still, mm-hmm. it was still going on. So, uh, he, I mean, he stays still on the pitch. So yes, yes and no, maybe substitutions could have came in sooner. Might have got some fresh. It also would have slowed the game down um, yeah, for because they Because then they could have caught their breath or almost had like a midi water break if somebody had gone down with an injury as the substitutions were coming on or something like that. So I think the, the, he needed to use the substitutions, not really to make a put a new player on, but use it to slow the game down. What do you feel about Zach's point that Bradley would think 
look, they're not going to make subs too late. If they make them at all, this is our chance to to get some fresh legs on oh, there now. I'm sure they. I'm sure it came into play. Like the the both both teams played midweek, um, but uh, but LAFC's got way more depth and everything like that. So uh, the the sub, I'm sure that he he's seen it before, and he's probably they probably talked about it before on you know when they talk in the when they were together at LAFC. They mm-hmm. probably had different ideas of when to put subs in and stuff like that. So. Maybe they know that MDS doesn't like putting... He likes keeping his team out there as long as possible and not using the subs. I mean, Bradley said after the game that in that first half, he felt that Vancouver had basically got the better tactics and didn't use the word outcoached, but basically kind of indicated that, which is interesting because a lot of people think that Bradley and some other of the senior coaches do have the the tactical advantage over MDS at times the goal Brown just seemed burned for pace and it was a shame because again he had another excellent game but it seems to be that every game there's one little lapse from him and a couple of these games now it's it's proved costly Zach yeah I, I, I it's it's hard for me to even though yes he he was he, he was at fault in one sense for the goal. It, it to me, uh, I think it was Carl Robinson who used to say, you know, any goal you look at, you can find like many oh, people yeah. who, who had made a had an issue. And for me, it really went back to the giveaway up the field with all those mm-hmm. tired players and not, and people not coming back. So yes, at the end, could Brown have done better to prevent the cross that would have you know not made that beautiful volley possible? Yes, he could have, but it's more like that's the icing on the cake of the of the defensive breakdown, if you will. And so, and I know he was caught ball watching in the previous game for a goal as well, or or stood off Velasquez or whatever uh, or Vasquez. But um, I don't know. I I think he's been one of again another of the highlights of the season for Vancouver. um, That it's hard to oh absolutely hard to hold uh, too much disappointment for him and and his and his role and his role in the game then as i mentioned heads could have gone down but they didn't and it was great to see that response i think that was what for me one of the best aspects of, of the game they were like right okay we've given it up we can still go on and win this and they really took the game to to la they just couldn't get the breakthrough thought we had it I let out a huge scream when Dahomey buried that. And there's been some debate last night and, and today about it, but basically, Dahomey puts the ball in the back of the net, Janiel Bikel is in an offside position, and it appears that he has been deemed to be interfering with the goalkeeper, obstructing his view, and that was why the goal was disallowed. Bikel, uh, right away when it happened, I knew it wasn't going to be a goal. You could tell yeah. that he was impeding the keeper. I didn't need to see the replay. It was it was pretty obvious, pretty obvious to me. And um, I think the exciting thing was it felt like Vancouver might be the only team that was going to get a, a third yeah. goal. Now, of course, I was also happy with the two-two, and so I didn't. I was okay. There was no more goals in the game. In the game. But um, but no, I, I, I should have told you there's a thousand dollars at stake at the end of the season. Yeah, who's sponsoring that? We'll find someone. Manscaped or something like that. No, I, I, um, I think again, encouraging signs that Vancouver was 
uh, was still creating chances at the end of the game. I think that's a, hu a huge win. And that's where I think I tweeted this, uh, like the second half performance, despite I think the substitution issue, I think was still commendable. Mm -hmm. And not just because they got a result. I think on the whole, it was it was a commendable second half performance. Yeah. And I, I I think we maybe we were talking about this, but has there been uh, whether you're a, a, a Vancouver supporter or a supporter of other team or a neutral, has there been a more enjoyable Vancouver game to watch in 2021? Oh no, like it was it was an hands down no, right? And so yeah. I think that's I think for the marketing people and the people who are trying to get people in the BC place on on August 21st. Which the game that, is against LAFC, of course. Exactly. It was so. I think this was very, very, very encouraging for them. I mean, I, I was gutted, but as I mentioned, strong foundations to build upon now for the re remaining nineteen games this season. Going to play some audio now from both head coaches. We'll hear from MDS in a little bit. First of all, though, we'll kick things off with the Dark Lord himself, Bob Bradley. First half. Not enough guys ready to play. I'm not sure why. Not enough intensity. Um, tactically in the first half, I thought we got overrun in the center of the field, so uh, we changed at halftime. Uh, I think that part was better. Uh, the second half, we do a better job of pushing the game, but there's still too many moments where we hurt ourselves, where we're closing down and trying to put pressure to see if we can win a ball back and we commit. Uh, a silly foul. There's times when late in the game where too many bad passes. So instead of now connecting three, four passes and getting forward and keeping pressure on, we're running 30, 40 yards to put out a fire. Um, so at the end, not enough guys uh, have really good days. Uh, there's a part where you're behind and now we've got to push hard to get back into a game. Uh, and, and so there's some credit on that end, but overall, um, not good enough tonight. Not good enough. I I know straight after a game like that, kind of an emotional roller coaster. It's maybe hard to look at things too much in detail, but you must be really proud of just the overall performance. I think to a man, that was one of the best team performances we've seen this season. Yeah, I think there's uh, moments, Michael, that we that we're building and we're creating and we're, we're working hard in training and off, you know, training. When I mean off training is video sessions, uh, working individually with players to allow uh, us to keep growing in the way that we want to play. And uh, I think, again, when I go back to the first half um, in Seattle, the first half in Dallas, the second half against the Galaxy, um, it was big moments and moments where we played really well. Uh, but I think that tonight, even if there's, you know, I'm not, I'm very, very proud of the guys, not in a celebrating celebration mode because we were two nothing up. And we always believed we still had a third goal, you know, the way the, our transition moments, we always believed that the, our, our, our third goal would come. Um, and in the locker room right now, we're not, it's not a party. Um, you know, it's a good point on, in, a, in a stadium that is incredibly difficult to get points. Um, but what was special about the game today, it's how we 
we were consistent throughout the 90 minutes. I feel that we were always a team that didn't back off, pressed in the right moment, looked to exploit the spaces uh, in their team. And many of our players had individual performance that were very good. But, you know, we're, we're, we're proud. Look, I'm very proud of the mindset because there's, it's not a, we're not doing a party in the locker room. You know, we feel we could have gotten even something even more, but for sure that when you come to a stadium like that before, before the game, you say, Hey, if we get, if we get uh, a point, it's positive, you know, but I think that, the difference tonight was the consistency of the 90 minutes uh, from our group. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like a game where the three points were, were there for the taking and even the reaction from the team after the equaliser went in, I thought was very positive as well. On the negative side, it's always the easy to, to pick things, giving up the goal so soon after scoring the second one of them. In the second half, it was a resolute defensive performance but do you feel they were maybe tiring and the subs could have come maybe just a little bit quicker yeah uh 100 we wanted to do the sub of Tossin and and uh and rusty they were on the line ready to come in when it was 2-1 and then they they have to see them get the goal so i i hate that i hate that uh, and yeah, I feel that maybe maybe we were a few minutes away of doing the the substitution. We should have maybe do it a couple of minutes earlier. But then you know you never know. Could uh, could LA still tie the game? And you know it's tough to guess the, these things. Um, but I still think that you know we we weren't very very low. No, normally. If you look at the last two games of LAFC, they create so much volume of chances and shots. And it wasn't the case today because we weren't low. We we all we were always in a medium higher block. We did come a little bit lower in the second half, but I think it's a, it's a situation that it's it's normal. You don't ask the team to do that. You always ask them to push more. That's the type of team I want to coach. Uh, but um, Michael, it's it, it's easier said than done. You know, there's players there with a lot of quality. Sifuentes, uh, Rossi, Vela, Atuesta. And at any moment, they find passes between lines. And then sometimes there's a little bit of that fear in our team of, hey, man, we can't concede, we back off. But I think overall or mid-block pressure and we still stepped in the right moments was very positive. The midfield, I, I think that's maybe been the best that we've seen from that trio of moving the ball forward. It's felt in a lot of the games, it's the midfield maybe where things have kind of fallen down a little bit, but that seemed to be some of the most attacking play we've seen from our midfield trio for, for quite a few games now. Yeah, we knew, we knew that for a game against LAFC, we needed to have the midfielders that would give us the most ability to get out of pressure quickly. And uh, Bikel, Abaldi, and, and uh, Kayo, we spoke a lot in the pregame about their role and how important it would be for them to get the ball out of pressure. Because if you play LAFC only with holding midfielders that don't have a lot of quality uh, getting out of pressure, 
you never get out because their counter press is so hard to get out. And I think I agree with you. They did a great job, all of them with very different characteristics, but all able to get out of those areas very well. The gaffer's there, just chatting about the game. Not too much more I want to talk about from this one, but I do want to have a, a quick chat to round this part off about the Whitecaps midfield. I like this trio. Baldy, Bikel, Kyle. The three of them, for me, that was the best midfield performance of the season in terms of the way that they moved the ball quickly. They actually looked like an attacking unit. On the whole, they got back and did their defensive shift as well. They really complemented the, the front three. And I'm not wanting to pile on Russell Tiber because I know he gets a lot of stick, especially on social media. But this clearly shows that the team is way more attacking, way more attack-minded than Tiber. But Rusty showed what he can be to this team when he came off the bench, and I thought he had a really good performance in the, the time that he was on the pitch. And for me, that's what he should be. He should be the guy that comes off the bench, helps see the game out, or adds a little bit of spark. He shouldn't be starting when you see the way that these three guys played, Steve. Yeah, uh, this is the ideal midfield right from the beginning. Um, obviously, everybody was dealing with injuries here and there. Kyle came late, so they weren't able. But it seems like there's a, a threesome here that can work, um, especially against LAFC. Uh, because the thing is with LAFC, you want to move the ball forward as quickly as possible. We discussed it before. Once you move the ball forward, their defending kind of breaks down. And that's where this this threesome... Like in other games, I don't, I'm not sure if this threesome would work. Probably would, but, they're, but I definitely think this is more the best technical uh, midfield. Tybert in some games might be handy to start. In some games, he's not. In mo I say in most games, he's probably better off coming off the bench, but there are certain points where he could start. But overall, yeah, this midfield is the midfield that you want for yep. the most part. I mean, Tiber, he's a dependable squad player, the guy that you call on for emergencies. Yeah. I, I don't think he should be starting. And not about, consistently. Yeah. I mean, what about you, Zach? Is this the trio that you'd like to see moving forward? Until obviously we bring gold. Oh, no, I was going to say Vancouver settled their midfield. They shouldn't add anything to it. It's we, don't, we don't need a ten. It's perfect. Don't do anything now. Don't mess it up. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I mean, where does gold fit in? It surely it's Baldy's going to be the guy that then makes way. Well, what about Vite or whatever? He, he's the backup ten. I, I don't know. That's gone a bit quiet. I don't know if that's. Plus, he's only a 19-year-old, so I'm not but, sure. No, I think that's happening because uh, they they did like some kind of ceremony for him today. Oh, and I haven't I, seen that today. I've yeah, there was. I saw, a lot. I, I saw. I saw it on Twitter. Somebody put a posted a picture of them at midfield with some boards or something like that. And it, I could have sworn it said Whitecaps. So I don't. I don't like the you know the old, you know thanks for the memories or something. Yeah, kind of thing. they're standing behind it. But it seemed like in the in the tweet, it seemed like they were saying that he was going to the Whitecaps. So. I definitely remember seeing that sometime early this morning. In all in all seriousness, I think that yeah, they've finally struck something, and it's going to be 
mm. portion if they, they have to take another two weeks, three weeks, four weeks to to find what the, the new thing is. But mm. obviously, it's going to be an upgrade. So yeah, I think Vite will be ready to go right away because he's in mid season. Uh, so we could it. be looking at Vite, Gold, and Kyle in that midfield, which is a bit tough on Bikel, who's been excellent. I, the last I wouldn't. Few games. I, I wouldn't put Vite in right now. I I let him ease in there, but he's definitely somebody that can come off the bench, e- yeah. even at the wing. He can he can play the wing. Well, of course, yeah. So I mean, he could be the impact guy that you bring I, off the bench, which we do have none of really at the moment. Yeah, Michael, if you want, if you want Bikel on there, you can always put him right back. Ah, <laughs> uh, but I like Javain Brown in there. Which also raises the question, what do you do with Gaspar when he, he comes in as well? But that's not our problems to solve, and it's a, a nice so, headache to have. Yeah, I want to I mention a couple things about the stats that I saw um, after the game. Um, it seemed like that they really were putting in crosses in this game, and it, yeah. you can tell during the game. But uh, when you look at the stats, it's obvious, 17-2 to two, uh, for the Whitecaps. That's, that's a major thing. And then another one was tackles, 17-7. to seven. Um, tackles wow. one, so that the, the midfield definitely I felt really did their work to slow down LAFC when they were building up their play. So I mean, overall, good performance by the Whitecaps. Is disappointing to to drop two points after being two goals up, but the Whitecaps it's only one defeat in the last six games, so they're they're trending in the right direction. So I mean that that is a positive. We'll be back talking some more Whitecaps and some MLS rounding up the weekend's action after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the sad time of the month, where it's the last song for our Artist of the Month for July, Edinburgh's Goodbye Mr McKenzie, with a song from their second album, Hammer and Tongs, from 1990, that was Blacker Than Black. And there's not really a black mood surrounding the Whitecaps just now. Everyone's quite upbeat after that good performance in LA. And the Caps flew home today to Vancouver. They are back in BC, baby. They'll be training at UBC from Tuesday. Fantastic. We talked a bit about it on the midweek show. But it must have given them a huge boost, guys. I think that was an intangible for them as well. I think... There, there was just something about them in that game. They had like the, you know, they had this extra boost. And I think that was uh, a part of it. 
yeah, good news coming down the pike that they can finally return home. Yeah. And it, it's weird. You've got guys on the team that have never played in front of fans at BC Place. You've got guys on the team that have never set foot in Vancouver. It's it's just it's strange times. I'm going to play a little bit of audio now. We're going to hear from Mark DeSantis, Russell Tiber, and Brian White, just with some of their thoughts about coming home and how much they're looking forward to it. I'm sure you're even better knowing now that you are, of course, coming home from next week, albeit not playing games right away at a BC place, but it feels like a light at the end of a very long tunnel. What do you think this is going to do to the mood of the group to to give the group a, a boost now for these tough games coming up? Well, we were looking at uh, the beginning of the month of August. You know, we do have that game against Minnesota on the 31st. Uh, that is incredibly weird, but not a surprise for what we've been living. Uh, it's important that I say that um, with the game in Minnesota, after the game in Minnesota, uh, against Minnesota, it's going to be 16 straight games on the road because we do not consider that we ever played at home this year. We consider that everything we've done until now has been on the on the road, even if things were minimized a little bit, but it's... Uh, you know, when you have games like Real Salt Lake uh, home in Salt Lake with their fans and us not having the ability to train in the stadium and they have the ability and then playing twice against the Galaxy with a lot of fans from like a good portion of Galaxy fans here in Salt Lake. And we went through all of that and now knowing that we have to come back here just to play Minnesota home in Salt Lake, where Minnesota travels to Salt Lake, we travel to maybe the, the the tourism of Salt Lake could pay us a little bit of money because of the promotion we've made with other cities to the city. Uh, but when you look at all the that all of that, and now you're getting at the end of it, I'll tell you that it gives you hope. Right, because this didn't start only now or, or no only with Salt Lake. It started with MLS's back when we first went to Orlando, then Portland, and it's been a lot of time. Uh, so w- when we look at the beginning of August, where we have also Max and Cava returning from the national team, where if everything goes well, we'll have a new addition uh, with the team. You know, I think that the fact of training at UBC, have you guys around, that you guys are also part of the spirit of being in training and being, you know, in a good way concerned with the team and the boost of the players coming in. I think all of that is just going to be a massive boost for all of us. Um, of course, it's not still all the full scenario that we we would wish because there's still a lot of weeks before that uh, wedding day, you know, with our fans and back at the stadium. Uh, but until now, we, we just see a lot of hope, a lot of light, and we can't wait um, to go back home. We're excited about Sunday, but before that, there's a huge game in L.A. 
the news, I guess, that everyone had been waiting for in the squad, you know, that you're coming home, albeit not to play games still for a, a few weeks. But what kind of boost has that been to the squad to know that you're at least going to be back in familiar surroundings on a, a training point of view? Yeah, uh, I can just speak for myself and, and how much it means to me to get back to Vancouver. Vancouver's been my home for almost 15 years. So being away for this amount of time has been the longest period of my career. Uh, and since I moved to Vancouver, so I definitely miss the city. Um, I bought my first place in Vancouver, so I miss home. Uh, and I can't wait to get back there. You know, you miss all the familiar things like local coffee shops, places that you go to walk. Um, but the thing that you miss the most is being able to play at your own stadium and with your own fans. And that's something that we've really missed out on this season. And I know everybody on the whole squad is is looking forward to get back to that. You're finally getting to, to step foot in Vancouver. You'll be at the train pitch on Tuesday and you'll have a couple of days before that. What, what are you most looking forward to uh, about getting there and actually seeing the place? Um, you know, I'm excited because I've heard so many great things from, you know, everyone that's been there, uh, old teammates that have played there, everyone on the team. So I heard the facility's great. The, the city's awesome. So I'm just really, you know, excited to get there. MDS, Russell Tybert and Brian White there just with some thoughts about returning to Vancouver. MDS has said, basically, by the time they play this Minnesota game, which they've got to fly down to Utah for and all its craziness, It'll be 16 road games to kick off the season. Now, there's been some criticism of him saying that. Some media have kind of mocked him saying that as well. But for me, it's true. It's like, yeah, you've got some home comforts around you, but it's not your stadium. You can't even get to train at the stadium. You're training at a different facility. It's not a true home. It is an away game. It's an alien environment. I think he's right, Steve. It's 16 it, road games. Forget the um, the 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 stadium. Forget the like. Basically, for me, it's the training facility. They they have this fantastic training facility, mm -hmm. maybe one of the best in MLS. I, I don't know. I've never been to anybody it's, else's. It was training definitely facility. up there from things that I've seen. And I, we've seen the Portland one. We've been at the Timbers. One. All right. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is like the, the they they have this place that they call home there. Where and the thing is, I don't care. Like if you like, when you're in a state of mind that you know something's temporary, it's temporary. Like yeah. if you're you're you no matter how much you make it home, um, like in in Salt Lake, like like for the players living there, um, they can have the most like homely place to live in. They know it's temporary because they know their actual home is in Vancouver. And like you said last week, which I didn't know that some families didn't even make the trip to down there. They stayed in Vancouver. Yeah. So, like, so obviously some people are completely separated. So people mocking the Whitecaps for being – that's uh, – for me, I'd like to see them in that position where they were away for that long. Maybe Before, some people can handle it or something like that. The, the other thing with this as well, there's been a couple of folks say, well, what's the point of coming home just to train and then have to fly and play a game in Utah? It's because you've got your home comforts around you. They can get into BC Place. Folk have said, why could they not play it at, at Swan Guard or something like that? They have looked at other possibilities. But there's the social distancing aspect because you're only allowed 50% capacity. Swan Guard is all benches, so that's a lot harder to kind of manage. It's not, it doesn't meet all the criteria for MLS television. There's other aspects as well. I think this the is the... The Burnaby government? Yeah. 
That, you never get along with the white caps. And of course, it's all because of the Wings and Wizards thing that is on at BC Place, and the, the white caps had to make a decision in May yeah. as to whether they were going to be back or not. That so, I mean, and, and BC Place is not going to hold the place for like hold it for Vancouver. Yeah, they're going to book something else. So I don't know. Like even some people I've seen on Twitter criticize that too. That yeah. oh, what, what what's going on there? Like. Oh, it's circumstance. Like I mean, the White on. Caps, they've done a lot wrong over the years. There's a lot to criticise them for. There's a lot to criticise the front office for. But some of these things, it, it just feels like folk are just being a little bit too picky. No, and, they're just pi- they're just piling on. Yeah. They're just piling they're they're lumping in everything as in instead of taking individual issues, they're lumping everything together and just uh, throwing it all out, heaping it all on them, which is unfortunate. But you kind of think that Vancouver brought it on themselves with the other <laughs> decisions yeah. I mean I, I get that but yeah it's just it just it gets annoying and irritating after a while but I mean there's still a few weeks till the wedding day as MDS is, is calling it which is their first game back at BC Place August 21st against LAFC it's going to be 13,000 capacity at BC Place so it's basically half the lower ball there'll be tarps there'll be like distancing between seats various things like that from September onwards, they can increase that, but initially it's going to be 13,000. Because the thing is, what state will the Whitecaps be in by then? Because they've basically now got four away games between now and that first game at BC Place. Because there's Minnesota and Utah, Galaxy and LA, San Jose and Austin. Just to confirm, that 13,000 is based on half the lower bowl of BC Place? Yes. I, with the tarps and stuff. I know technically you could maybe squeeze in 27.5, but... They're basing it with because of configurations of 26. So it's half of that. The games to come, it's certainly tough. They, they started the LAFC game bottom of the West. A win would have seen them move up to ninth and four points back of the playoff line. Right now, they're 12th, six points back. Still a lot of the season to play for. They have played a game more than, than some of the teams above them and there's a busy midweek slate of matches, but they're still in it. And I think that's all we could really hope for, Steve, getting back to BC Place at this time. Yeah, they just got to like basically tread water at this point. They they got to if they can pick up a win against Minnesota and then pick up a couple of draws and just stay in within yeah. shouting distance. I think that'll be fine at that point. But the win against Minnesota is, I don't want to say it's make or break, but it's very vital for them. Yeah, I mean they're traveling to that as well, so it's two teams traveling to the game. Let's get into a roundup of the the Western action quickly in MLS because we'll kick things off talking about Minnesota. They played Portland this weekend in a highly entertaining game. It was 2-1 to Minnesota. Great entertainment. Minnesota's a tough team to to play against and they showed it. The Timbers scored early through Felipe Mora, 10 minutes in, but then they were pretty much under the cosh for a lot of the game. No surprise when Chase Gasper equalised for Minnesota in the 74th minute and then Robert Lode, who looked so dangerous in this one, he got onto a beautiful long through ball from Reynoso, swept it home, 85th minute winner. They're going to be a tough challenge next week, I think, Steve. But... Yeah, but the Robert Lode, a number of misses. Like, yes. uh, the amount of times he missed, it was like... He, he, he almost got man of the match because of all of the misses he made because he was in such dangerous positions. Uh, but he finally got the goal at the end. Yeah, they're, they are going to be a handful for sure. I mean, um, offensively, they're tough. But defensively, it's very much like LAFC. You take yeah. the game to them and you press them hard. You 
you run on them, get three on three, you run at their slow defenders, right. you've got a great Def- chance. Well, defensively, on- defensively, they're very offensive. Yeah. And remember, defensively, they're missing uh, our good friend Michael Boxel. Yeah, at the Olympics. It's going to be a tough one. If they can get something from that, I think they've got a chance of taking something from the Galaxy, maybe taking something from San Jose, something at Austin. It might not be as scary a road trip as it, as it kind of looked at a few weeks ago. Yeah, Austin. I'll say Austin. <laughs> the fact that they lost to Seattle. Uh, when there were so many teenagers, like they, they had five teens yeah. in the starting 11 and they lost to that team. That was, uh, I didn't watch the highlights either, but just when I heard about that, oh, that, that seemed like a very odd situation there. Yeah, I mean, that, I, it was a great performance from Seattle. Pleased for Spencer Ritchie as well, getting the, the clean sheet yeah. and the, the Sounders goal. But I mean, it, it's a testament as to, to how good some of the Sounders young guys are. And they played well, but yeah, Austin will be ruining that. And they thought they had an equaliser, but VAR had, had ruled that out. It was Dallas 4, LA Galaxy 0. A hat-trick from 18-year-old Ricardo Pepe. I did the damage. He's a great prospect. Seriously, like, how he is he gone at the end of this year? Like, oh, he, surely, if he keeps up this scoring rate, he's yeah, going to be off somebody, to Europe. As I was watching, as was watching the game, I, actually, I watched part of it live, but I watched... Part of it, uh, I was watching multiple things or whatever. So I go, I didn't know who had scored and whatever. So I was watching on the zone. And so I go to the thing and literally I click on where the goal was. And all I do was just keep my eyes on number 16. Cause I, mm. knew, I knew it was going to be him. You knew it was coming. And the first time I did, it, I was like, Oh, he's so far. I was like, Oh, he's so uninvolved in this. I was like, I'm just going to keep watching him. And yeah, he just got in the spot or followed the play, got in the space, smashed it. Like he, yeah. he is good. And you were you're talking about uh, um, like uh, motivation or something like that. It was the one year anniversary of his grandfather's death. Um, oh, really? So he, yeah, he scored that. You dedicated it to him afterwards. Oh, that's lovely. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, he he seems such a great talent for Dallas. I mean, I can't see them holding on to him. He's surely going to go to Europe for a lot of money. He beat Kakuta Mane's record yeah. as the youngest MLS hat trick goal scorer. Which yes, of course yeah. Scooter did down in Seattle in twenty thirteen. You guys were at that, that game, right? Oh yeah. That 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 was a now, lot of fun to be in that Seattle yeah. press box. <laughs> now I know I know he's American, um, but uh is he got like a Mexican tie to are they gonna be battling for him as well or oh, you never know. I like I, I don't even know if he's got like a like I know he's born in Texas. Because uh, mm-hmm. he was a homegrown, but yeah, I was just wondering if if there's going to be a battle for him as well. But I think he's definitely gone. He, I think his, I think last time I saw his value is already three million at this point. It's probably going to keep going higher and higher as the season goes on. Yeah, I think it will. I, he's he's just three been million? playing great. Huh? Only three million. Because he's I, young, I think. I, I think it's at the beginning of the year too, right? They 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 don't set, they don't change him all the time. It was four 0 in the end. Jader O'Brien hit a late fourth for Dallas. I mean, he took it well. It was horrendous goalkeeping from Jonathan Bondo, who seemed to dive out of the way of the shot. In general, though, the Galaxy, it wasn't great defending, which is what gives me a little bit of hope for that game down there. Guess we'll see how that goes. Then, RSL 3, Colorado 0. RSL clobbered the Rapids in the Rocky Mountain Cup. And that's not my words. That was the press release that RSL sent out. That was their headline. RSL Clobber Rapids, which I thought, that's not the, the most professional headline from a team, but 
I don't know if you saw this, but if you haven't, you have to check out the first goal. William Yarborough. Oh, boy. I think this might be the worst own goal this year. Even more than the Haiti keeper? I'm I'm just trying to help out the kid because he's from (laughs) Montreal. It was a bad one. No, this one is pretty bad. He completely took his eye off it. Yeah, and it, he he thought he was controlling it with the inside of his foot and hit the back heel and basically went in. I, I showed it to Caitlin and I wrote down her exact words. She said, "Does he not care about his job as a goalkeeper?" <laughs> uh, I, I I've said before I need to do a series where I just show her stuff and get her comments because she's not a football fan, so it's a, a lot funnier. Hey, that's a, are you stealing more Jordi's material? Oh, possibly. I mentioned it before he started doing that. Bobby Wood, and he did. He got a great solo goal in the 30th minute to make it 2-0. And then Rubio Rabin put it beyond doubt 14 minutes from time. RSL, they're ticking along nicely. They're they're looking good. Colorado had been as well, so that's a bit of a, a surprise thing. For me, this was... Result. Yeah, this for me, this is just a minor slip-up for Colorado. The thing with RSL is they're, they're probably the most Jekyll and Hyde team um, in MLS this year. We've only seen the Jekyll part of it because, uh, or is it the Hyde sick as well? I don't know. But but Jekyll's what I'm saying a good is, guy Hyde's a bad yeah. guy. So and so basically, the, the, I guess Vancouver. We always seen that that side of it, and then but they've had moments where they've been played pretty poorly against other teams. See, San Jose won, Houston won. Not a great game. Not a lot to talk about. San Jose dominated possession. Shots yeah. were pretty even, but Houston had more on target, 5-2. to two. Both K- goals came just before half-time. Matias Vera put Houston ahead in the 40th minute. A low 30-yard screamer. It was a, a nice goal. Zarek Valentino in goal made it 1-1, five minutes into stoppage time. Then Carlos Vieira got sent off for San Jose, seven minutes into second half stoppage time, kicking out at Iruti. Just a stupid thing to do. And it was getting a little bit... Uh... Vicious at the near the end of the game too. A lot of pushing and shoving yeah. near the end. Uh, but overall, nothing. Yeah, you're right. Nothing really to speak about this game. The it's last good, game... good result. Good result for Vancouver. Though. Oh yeah, there's a couple of good results this weekend for them. Last game of the weekend, ridiculously on at the same time as the the U.S. Gold Cup game. You've got two of the best teams in MLS battling it out in a top of the Western Conference game, and it's clashing with America in the Gold Cup. Absolutely ridiculous scheduling, and it just shows, again, how MLS don't care about international competitions like this. I was just very annoyed by it. But it was, it was a good game. Seattle won, Sporting Kansas City 3. On my, oh my, what a goal from my man, Johnny. Yeah, it was a beautiful... Uh, it was a free kick, right? It was beautiful inside of his left foot. Um, I, I got to say one thing is... Every time I see that kit from from the Flounders, I I dislike it more and more. It's a really horrendous football kit. It I, is. Can someone explain it to me? I don't understand it. The, the, is this their Hendrix kit? Right, but it's got smoke and. Yeah, but the colors just like it, it's just hard to is look. Is it at. purple? Yeah, it's purple haze. Purple haze, yeah. But. It's more than purple. It's just, yeah. It's when they had when they put the rave green on the. It just it doesn't work in my opinion. But it was a great goal from Johnny Russell and another good goal to make it two 0 before half time. Salloway, what a great 
counter goal that was from Kansas City. Zach and me were messaging back and forward. That was just a great finish. Freddie Montero pulled one back with, a, I think it was his 50th goal for the Sounders. KC, though, secured the points. Cameron Duke, 72nd minute. Big, big win for KC here. Massive. Massive for not just KC, but those who are chasing in the West. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a quick look at this standing. Seattle still out on top, 32 points. Kansas second and 30. Five-point gap to Galaxy in third and 25. Colorado 24. LAFC 22. Minnesota 21. And Salt Lake 20. That's the top seven chasing the playoffs. Then you've got Portland, Houston, Dallas, San Jose, Vancouver, and Austin. So, Vancouver finished the weekend six points back. It, it's still very doable. That's, I think, all you can kind of really hope for. A lot of football still to be played. Quickly in the East, New England Revolution, still out on top. 2-1 win over Montreal. They also had a couple of goals disallowed. Gustavo Bo, excellent Great goal. in this one. Yeah, excellent goal. That, that goal, the bar down goal. Wow, what a shot that was. Yeah. Just and remember, they're doing it all without Tejon Buchanan. Yeah. I I mean, the, the revs, it's risky in the East because we've seen this before, but like the revs, you feel they're MLS Cup bound, but I guess we'll see. They've got a seven-point lead over Nashville. They beat Cincinnati 3-0. They're a point ahead of Orlando in third, who were missing a ween of players, especially in the striking department, not helped by us taking... Tesho Akindeli to the Gold Cup. Thankfully, taking Tesho Akindeli to the Gold Cup. We'll cover that in the next part. They were what? hammered 5-0 yeah, by so NYC. What was the, what was the, What time was it there? It was five past Orlando. Five different goal scorers too for New York. TFC's slow recovery continued. 2-1 win over Chicago on Saturday. They were out-possessed. They were out-shot 31-5. But ultimately, they got the goals. It was a bunch of Dick Turpins, you could say. It was like highway robbery. Of course, don't try and get Nick DeLeon to wear a mask, though, because I'm sure he's not going to be too keen on that. But that is it for our MLS Roundup. That is it for our MLS and Whitecaps chat for this week. We'll be turning our attention to the international stage next and the Gold Cup. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kippel from the Vancouver Whitecaps, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, 
And kicking off the next couple of parts, I've decided I'm going to play songs to do with home, to do with Vancouver, coming home. Because, of course, that's what the Whitecaps are doing. That was a song which I can't believe was way back in 2009. Loved this from the minute I heard it. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros with their song called Home. Great song. Heard that so much back in the day when I used to listen to the Fox a lot. But yeah, Vancouver will be returning home. But there's two Canadian players, Max Crippo and Lucas Cavallini, that we don't want to come home just yet because we want them to get to the Gold Cup final. And Canada are one more victory away from doing that after a very impressive 2-0 win over Costa Rica in the Gold Cup quarter-final this evening, Sunday evening. I mean, it was fantastic stuff. What a win. Well-deserved from start to finish. Pretty comfortable in the end. I mean, I was not worried in the slightest during this game, Steve. Yeah, um, even for somebody like me, uh, like who worries a lot when I'm watching Canada play, there was very little... Uh, coming from Costa Rica during the mm-hmm. whole game, I felt like Van- Can- Vancouver, Canada handled it really well. Um, the midfield, the wide areas, everything—they like, were just spot on. Where the center backs really had very little to clean up. Yeah, I mean, t- to a man, Zach, that was a a solid performance. We we talked in our extra podcast that we brought out. It's. It's not the same Costa Rica that we saw in the World Cup, but it is the same Costa Rica that we saw because it's the, the ageing players. But they looked a shadow of Costa Rica teams of the past. Some credit of that has to go to Canada, though, because Canada didn't let them play, but they, they offered very little. Yeah, they, they did. I mean, don't forget, though, no poppy, no party. Mm. So, um, why, why do you think he was missed out, though? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I sorry. I understand Calvo starting, but the other mm. guy I'm not as familiar with the other center back. The yeah. Calvo, I totally get. Maybe um, it was just to get a bit something different, a bit younger. Maybe but, they saw something in Canada that they thought Kendall would struggle with the pace or something. Maybe, but I also thought then why not bring him out at the end to just throw him up front to try yeah. and yeah, you know, do the robo right. approach. Yeah, but um, no, I, I mean, the, again, I think. John Herdman has Canada going in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the mentality is good. I think the attitude and the mental side of the game is very strong for them. I think they have a lot of confidence and not like a not a swagger, not a you know um, a cocky thing, but just a confidence in who they are and what they're going to do, and then and, and how they're going to do it, and they, and they go out and do it. I mean, um, the Junior Hoylet goal is like that's. An absolutely brilliant goal. Yeah, let, let's get straight into that then. So, I mean, four changes to Herdman's starting lineup. Estakio, Kay, Osorio and Cava all came in. Pretty much what, what we said we, we would do when we were picking our lineup in, in the last show. 4-4-2 kind of went with. Canada took the game to the Ticos from the early going. 18th minute, 1-0, Junior Hoylet. It's a beautiful long ball forward from Estakio. Costa Rica were playing very high up. And it's like Hoylet just ran in, lobbed the keeper, got clobbered in the process, like taken out. But it's like he only had eyes and goal, Steve. Fantastic goal. Great finish. Yeah. Um, like the Stacchio ball over the top was fantastic. Yeah. Like perfect. That was, reminded me a lot of Pedro Morales' balls back in the day. Um, when he oh, was, like, I, I loved his deep. ball so much. Yeah. 
and then uh, Hoylet with a great great ship over. For me, the funniest part of this part, the, this goal, uh, was the keeper like going down with the injury. It, it yeah. just reminded me reminded me of a couple of friends of mine when they made a mistake, like like working or something like that in the construction. Where if they made a mistake, they'd actually go down, make people think that they were hurt instead of like taking the blame for something they screwed up on. Um, so the, the, that was a part. But overall, great goal, and it was good that they got the goal early too. They didn't. They they attacked and they got the ball in there and led them and made Costa Rica think more about what's going on. Yeah, I mean it. It was it was great stuff, Zach. I mean Hoylet looking for a club. Does he go back to Europe? I I pitched for the Whitecaps to make a play for him. Adding him if you could just for the end of the season could be a big difference maker for the Whitecaps. But he's still he's still got it. That was a cool, calm, collected finish. Yeah, I mean, the qual the quality. Is, it's, he still has such great quality. I don't think we. I don't know if it was us who were talking about this, but maybe his pace is a little bit. He's a little bit slower than he was a year or two or three ago. But man, when you can finish like that, when you can, uh, when you can show the courage that it took. Uh, to to attempt to attempt that shot, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, whether or not where he'll end up net, next, whether it's Vancouver or he goes back to Europe, I, I don't know. Vancouver would be fortunate to get him. I don't think I don't think the turf of BC places would be great for him, but um, Vancouver would be very very fortunate to get him. And um, but I, I hope he does find a place because you don't want him sitting around waiting for the the the, the uh, World Cup qualifying matches to come, you want him to be playing and, and ready. Yeah, that's exactly it. You want him fit. And if there's going to be a lot of games, he might think, you know what, maybe I will stay over here just to, for a little bit, get some games under my belt and get ready for, for these games. I mean, Costa Rica, even after the goal, they didn't really show anything at all. It just felt like a matter of, oh, when's Canada going to get a second? I, it came in the 68th minute. Estacchio, this time the scorer, Megan the keeper in the process, I, another team goal, and just Estacchio in general. Outstanding today. Like, like I said, he's become the most significant and influential player in the Canadian side. Even when you have David and Davies there, I think he still is like the first name on the team sheet for what he does in the midfield. Um, before, I used to think like, oh yeah, I want Mark Anthony Kane there, or you know, or or uh, was your buddy there before he kind of ditched Canada? Your Scottish Scotty Arfield, yeah, you yeah, know, something like that. But or uh, obviously the, the precursor to this is Atiba, right? You know, Atiba was the first one on there, but now it's Estacchio is like Canada needs him. He is the the like the glue, the duct tape that holds them all together in the mid in the midfield and makes them helps make them tick, but also um, helps out defensively. And and in this tournament. He's scoring goals, which is again just like an added an added bonus. Yeah, for me, he's like a one man midfield. Basically, he can play as a six, an eight, and a ten. Um, and he he is not even like he you couldn't even call him a jack of all trades because that's kind of people saying you're good at one thing but not good at everything. Like or sorry, you're good at everything but not really superb at one thing. He actually excels at any position you put him in. So I think he's a really important part. I for me. Um, other than Atiba, he was my first guy that I wanted in the midfield from a long time ago. Mm. The fact that he was in Portugal's, you know, uh, development side or whatever, junior side, junior team or whatever, uh, that shows that the quality that he, people can see in him. Yep. 
And I mean, he he could easily have decided to just try and make a, a go of it and get into the Portuguese team. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But the fact that he chose to commit to Canada as well. That's John, so Herdman's cool, that's John Herdman's Kool-Aid that people are drinking. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, it, it took that second goal for Costa Rica to really wake up. And they, they launched a couple of attacks. Canada dealt with it pretty admirably. The defence untroubled they looked so good in this pretty much all positives to take from the game couple of negatives in that there was yellow cards to two players that will now miss the mexico semi-final two big key players lucas cavallini steven vittoria both getting second yellows both now missing it big losses especially cavallini with losing all the other strikers I don't know. This could be a, a positive coming out of a negative for up front. Like the like, there's a couple options you could do here. You can you can play Hoylet as a single, you know, uh, like a false nine, and then bring in an extra midfielder because you might need that extra midfielder against Mexico, and then that maybe allows you to allow Mark Anthony K and uh, and Estacio move up the pitch and maybe help in the attack, and you use your wide guys in your attacking, or maybe you put bring Carbono on uh, as mm. one of your strikers to play with Hoylet. I, I personally don't think like even the Vittoria one, even that one is not a huge deal because Daniel Henry, it's not that much of a uh, drop off. Like those two can't play together, uh, but they can substitute each other mm. off. Like they, they're basically very similar center backs. Uh, so either one, I think can play with Kamal Villain and I think you're good. I like that they can't play together. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I think I think they're very similar. Where they're oh, like, yeah. yeah, you can't play them together, but you you can play them with somebody. I, I tend to agree, with Steve. This could be could be a blessing in disguise. I think whether it's uh, Tesho stepping up or whether it's Herdman and the coaching staff getting creative and coming out with a look that Mexico is not expecting, that could be That's something. True. That could be very helpful in terms of their tactical game plan, and so it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. And I agree with Steve. Danielle Henry, I think, was going to step into that spot. I think they're, I, I'm guessing they're going to keep a back four. They could go back three, but I'm guessing they'll keep the back four, and uh, Danielle will step in there seamlessly. For me, so not, the, the not that big of an issue. I mean, they selected Cavallini for this team. They knew he was going to get suspended at some point. Yeah, sure. I, I think the biggest thing with Cavallini is that um, I, I don't, I don't think it's what happened anyways because you probably would have started him, but him potentially coming off the bench would have been ideal late in the game or something if they were up, maybe up, <laughs> if they were up. I'm not, I don't want to jinx anything, but if they were up, uh, it would have been handy to come off the bench. So, Michael, if he can't play for Canada in this game, can he miss his game for Vancouver? That's what I was, I was like, let's recall him. Oh, we can't do that. Oh, he's suspended. Oh, well, but we did recall him. No, I don't think it's going to work that way. It would be nice though. It would be. It's okay, we won't need him because we'll have Junior Hoylet at the Whitecaps by that point. But Tisha Akindeli did at least get a run out. Um, came on in the 69th minute, had a few looks at nice. goal. Yeah, very nice. Sadly, some of his chances weren't because he didn't put any of them away. If he poked one of them home, I think that would have been huge for his confidence. But yes, he's in form anyway, so I mean, it's yeah. not too, too bad. He got into some good spots, and, and uh, so I think that I think that's encouraging. Uh, and we'll have Cavalina back for the final against Qatar, so it's all it's all good. 
I, I'm going to try and see if I can find a bookies, if I can put a bet on every game for Cavallini to get booked and see if by the end of the season I can buy a house in Vancouver. <laughs> but obviously we're happy about the win. So was the Canadian camp. Let's hear now some post-game thoughts from head coach John Herdman. And I wear it for my lady, the Canadian flag, baby! Obviously, uh, bigger tests uh, await, but that was a, uh, a impressive, mature performance against a veteran Costa Rican team. Do you think uh, your young side is coming of age at this tournament? It's a step-by-step, step, Neil. I think that's, that's the key message. Um, you know, we've been focusing one game at a time. I think there's four matches we've played. I think we've deserved to win all four matches that we've played in the tournament so far. And tonight, you know, I thought they took a, a step by ensuring, number one, we kept the clean sheet. And number two, we just managed Costa Rica in a way that was important for, for this team to show, number one, their, their tactical awareness. And number two, you know, that brotherhood, which you've seen them pressing Costa Rica for almost 70 plus minutes. And, um, you know, that, that's not an easy thing to build, the mentality to do that, and as well as the sort of bravery to commit that every man is going to be on the front foot. So... I was really happy tonight, but as I keep saying, it's just we keep our feet on the ground. We we take it game by game and and get ready for the next part of the tournament, which is a semi-final. First time since, I don't know, 2007, eight, uh, who knows, six Gold Cups. Um, no Fonzie, no Johnny, no Kyle, no Ayo. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm proud of these boys tonight, Neil. It was uh, That was a big step they took. And hopefully we can take another one. Hey, John, uh, congratulations on the victory. Um, obviously a very impressive performance. I want to ask you about uh, just uh, Stefan Ostakio and, you know, the way he pulls the strings in midfield and, and the vision that he has. And just can you just give me a thought on, on what he brings to, to this team and just the confidence he seems to give the team uh, from that midfield position? Yeah, well, it took it took a good two years to to bring Stefan over over to Canada. And when you've played at Portugal under twenty one level and played through all the levels in Portugal national level, you know you're getting a good player. But what that what that young man was clear on, he wanted to be part of the vision. He wanted to be part of something special in in changing something in Canada. You know, he he potentially could have stayed and found his way into that Portuguese national team. But as, as we discussed way back when, you know, they've, they've done pretty much everything in world football. They've, they've achieved a lot. And Canada's just on the start of a journey. So he, he has an opportunity to be part of a group of men that, that changed the country forever. And that's, that's what motivates him. And you see that in his play. Like this guy, the intensity he plays at, the desire, the passion. You know, I think he embodies, you know, everything we want this football country to be moving forward. Um, and he's not just a fighter, you know, he's, he's got that quality as well and precision. So again, he's, you know, really stepped up in this tournament, his free kick goal. And tonight was just one of those really controlling games from Stefan Ostakio. And look, I could name another 
eight other guys, Junior Hoylet, what a performance from that, that man tonight, you know, what a real senior performance from him. So, yeah, proud of a lot of the guys tonight. You're probably tired of discussing this at this point, but obviously Stephen and Lucas picked up bookings and correct me if I'm wrong, but that rules them out for the semifinals. Um, what are your thoughts about managing that wrinkle? Look, it's <laughs> the curse of that first game, you know. I would love, you know, to be able to look back at, at Lucas's yellow card and, and Stevens in that first match. But this is football. It's tournaments. I've been, I don't know, three Olympics. I've been uh, four World Cups. You know, I've been to uh, big tournaments. And this always happens. It, it's, it's just part of the nature of it. So when one man falls over, you know, another man has to step up. And, and that's, that's, you know, the, the I think the culture we've, brought here we've been rotating the squad well and I think our players you know I'm excited to see another man get an opportunity I mean Teshuak in Delhi's just sort of came into the tournament um, he was very unlucky not to have been called in but now he gets a chance you know he may be one of the guys starting the game in the next in the next match a cru crucial game and yeah so these tournaments uh, have just got a way of um, building that that experience and camaraderie that we're going to need going into the octagon and that's that's what we're here for to manage these moments hey there john congratulations on a on a win and i mean from start to finish tonight you, your boys just looked magnificent out there a, a lot will be made of the midfield a lot will be made of the attack but defensively i mean you showed it against the us for 89 and a half minutes you showed it tonight I think a lot of people have always wondered, does Canada have that defence to get to that next level? It looks like you've been showing it in this tournament that, yes, you have. Look, it's, again, it's just one game at a time. Um, you know, we've, we showed through the World Cup qualifiers, we could keep clean sheets. We've shifted our systems, we've become more adaptable. Tonight, we shifted our system again. So, you know, th there's a good tactical flexibility there. But if you've seen our games, we defend from the front. And you've got to credit the work rate of people like Junior Hoylett, Lucas Cavallini. I mean, those guys are, are pushing hard. When we got our 2-0 win against the US, we were on the front foot all night. And it's been the style of play that we've, we've been implementing here for a three-year period. But, you know, you've got to keep adapting and be smart and pick your moments, particularly coming up against a team like Mexico. And, uh, you know, the the next test is, is probably the toughest test of this tournament. The back four will be tested. The back five will be tested. You know, it'll be, uh, it'll be a tough night uh, for those guys, but it's what we want. We want these games. We, we said coming into this tournament, we want Mexico. We want the U.S. We want Honduras, Jamaica. Because uh, we're going to get them soon enough in a, in a moment where it's going to matter even worse, even more, sorry, not worse, even more to our country. And yeah, our eyes are here at the Gold Cup, but there's still for me one eye on what's coming next. John Herdman there, cock-a-hoop, but also cautious. Just taking it one game at a time, not getting too carried away, feet on the ground. I like that approach. I'm getting carried away. I've got us lifting the trophy against Qatar. But that's just me. 
John Hedman's got a more leveled head on his shoulders. The thing is, is it does resemble a little bit about uh, 2000. Uh, mm. In 2000, they beat, did beat Mexico. It wasn't the quarterfinal. Yes. So, and they did. Then they beat a, a team. Like, Not from CONCACAF. Yeah, in the in final. The final Columbia. Yeah. So it, it does kind of resemble. But for me, I know we're, we're going to look forward to the game soon. But for me, I just feel like they're both Qatar and Canada might get CONCACAF um, in the semis uh, because they want the ratings. Yeah, let, let's be honest. A Qatar-Canada Gold Cup final is not going to be doing the ratings business in the US. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. Yeah, or actually anywhere, probably, because no one in Canada can watch the bloody thing either because it's on one soccer. Yeah. And I think it's the middle of the night in Qatar. But, like, like quick round-up then of the other quarterfinals. So it was Qatar 3, El Salvador 2. Great match. Absolutely amazing yeah. game. If you haven't seen this, check out the highlights on the CONCACAF YouTube channel. Fantastic. Qatar... Three up and coasting. El Salvador get a couple of quick goals. Get a third that is then ruled out. Couldn't tie it up, but I think Qatar's been involved in the two best games of the competition so far. Panama yeah, did, and, and this. Panama, that's right, yeah. yeah. And uh, founder Alex Rodin was in the, was in the side. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that. And, and of course, uh, another very Salvadorian, Eric Zavaleta. Mm-hmm. And so... Were they with Qatar or El Salvador? <laughs> El Salvador. They, they haven't got the Brazilian passport sorted yet. Mexico also got the job done on Saturday night, all in the first half. Pretty comfortable 3-0 win over Honduras. COVID went, savage terrorists. When it went to 1-0, I just stopped watching because I thought that's it. Honduras was missing quite a few players with COVID. Yeah, too. they had a big COVID outbreak, which was not yeah. ideal. Today, the other semi-final, US-Jamaica... And off their own accord, the Americans went through with a late, late winner. I really thought this was going to extra time. But at least it meant we could start recording the show early. The US, I mean, they had some pressure. I, they're, but again, they're, they're not just, good. No, they're just... Obviously, it's not their first choice team. And it's a load of MLS guys that probably might be fringe guys for the, the World Cup qualifiers. When you call them a load of MLS guys, it sounds really bad. <laughs> Like yeah. um, guys. I don't want to get fined. Sorry. <laughs> Is that not what MLS do? Everyone's going to get fined. But semi-finals are set for Thursday. And first up this time, it's Qatar against the US at Austin's new stadium. 4.30pm kickoff. I fancy Qatar to pull off the shock here. For me, Qatar are dangerous offensively but they're quite suspect at the back. But I don't think the US have shown enough going forward that they'll overcome the goals. I think it could be another like 3-2 game or something. Yeah, but I, I genuinely fancy Qatar to go through. For anyone who's watched the tournament, it's not. it won't, it won't, won't be that shocking to see Qatar beat the US. I might stick some all, money on that. It all depends on how much money Qatar has uh, leveled up between the, what, how much money the US... Uh, um, broadcasters have leveled up to CONCACAF. It'll all depend <laughs> on that, I think, to see who wins. I, I'm, I've said it before, I'm not a fan of non-CONCACAF teams being in the Gold Cup, but it would be hilarious to see them beat the US. I'll just leave it at that. I, I'm not a fan of it because there's enough teams in CONCACAF. Yes. Yeah, you're to be in America and you want to do 10 teams or 12, I can understand it a lot more. Yeah. Then it's the big one, Thursday night. 7.30pm kickoff at Houston's NRG Stadium. 
Mexico awaits the Canadians. It's going to be a tough one. Mexico may be finding some form, but they haven't totally impressed during the, this tournament. How do you approach it? Do you tinker about too much with the lineup apart from the two necessary changes? No, not very much at all. Um, I don't know. You could maybe tinker with the way it's set up lineup wise. Um, but the thing, the biggest thing for me is that uh, watching the Honduras game, they were sending in a lot of crosses and it felt like they were doing that quite a few, uh, quite a bit during the whole tournament. So I think you got to really solidify them outside and make sure those crosses don't come into the strikers. I think it's either going to be kind of like the normal four-three-three, or it's going to be some something crazy that we're not expecting. I think those are the the two takes we're going to see from Canada in terms of the lineup and formation and general tactical approach. Four-five-one, I wouldn't mind just to stack that midfield a little bit, stack you the midfield a little bit. Two-six-two. Six-four-zero. Two-six-two. It's six-four-zero. That's what Scotland went with against the Czech Republic once. Surprisingly, they didn't score. If only they could cover shots from half. Hmm. I think Montreal went with a 7-3-0 against Vancouver once. Didn't Brazil in their commercials used to play like a 1-1-9 a one, one, or something? <laughs> That's fun. Right, let, what's your predictions for this? And one was the keeper, by the way, in that. I've got a heart and head thing going. That My heart is saying they're going to do it. It's going to be 2-1 after extra time. But I think it's going to be 2-1 Mexico. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I, would, I think it's going to be 2-0 Mexico. Well, that's good. If we go in with, with feeling like that, we won't be disappointed too much, but we might be coming okay. out of it really good. So just for prediction's sake, I'll just say Mexico wins on penalties. Okay. Just for something different. I, I, I think that uh, the, the my biggest concern was that they, they lost today and then people would be like trashing them. Saying they're oh, the same okay. old Canada, they, they haven't shown anything. Not seeing that what what they've gone through, the fact that they lost two strikers, they won't take any of that into account. They'll just say that they lost in the quarterfinals again, which yeah. is what you know. Results are the thing that you want because other teams deal with this stuff too. But uh, it's good that they won today. That that was the important one today that they got to the semi uh, first time since two thousand seven. Yeah, which they reminded a lot of on the shows. And, um, and ultimately, as well, we beat one of the top three teams in Concacaf. We narrowly go. lost to another one last week. So, yeah, good, good signs. But and what I've liked, I think, most about this Gold Cup though is it's felt wide open. It's really felt that anyone could win it. Previous years, you're pretty th- sure it's going to be a Mexico-US final. Maybe Costa Rica sneak into the odd one, but this has felt wide open and. Yeah. I, I think that's great. For previous years, it was basically uh, having the honor of losing to Mexico or USA. Yeah. That was basically the, the thing. Uh, the one thing um, I like really about this is that they've they've kind of developed a lot of depth where they could potentially come with two separate starting 11s um, um, in, the, in the World Cup qualifiers where they have a starting 11 on the first game, a different one on the second game, and they go back to that first one for the third game. So keep everybody fresh. They could potentially do that or kind of make sure that they have the subs in there for three of the games, like have three the same starters three times in a row, sub them off whenever you need to. But you know what I mean? Like they, they, they have a lot more flexibility in their lineups where yeah. they don't have to force the same players for all three games. 
Well, I mean, talking about the openness of the Gold Cup, let's play a little bit of audio now from John Herdman and Whitecaps goalkeeper Maxime Crapeau just chatting about the, this tournament and how wide open they feel it is. This tournament, it feels one of the most wide open Gold Cups that there's been for, for the, la the last few of them. What, what have you made of what you, you've seen from it so far? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I, I just keep thinking people underestimate the strength of CONCACAF, um, the teams in CONCACAF. I think this Gold Cup has just shown, you know, maybe with three years of Nations League, uh, a lot of teams have been able to recruit a lot more players that they've had, you know, on the verge of their, of their country. So I think you're starting to see just a stronger CONCACAF. And then you add teams like Qatar in. Yeah, it's... Um, it is wide open in that respect. I think uh, you've seen the Mexicans struggle through the group stage. You've seen other teams, you know, teams that would normally post maybe a 3-4-0 scoreline. They're just not posting that anymore. So it could be that some of the key players are missing or COVID's impacted teams. Um, or it's just been one of those long seasons where, you know, guys physically and mentally and emotionally uh, are struggling. So... There's a lot to contend with in this tournament, Michael. This has been an interesting one. Again, this last year has been unprecedented. And I think for the players, um, everyone, I think everyone knows that anyone could beat anyone on any given day, given what we've seen with the results. So, you know, for Canada, Costa Rica would, would be a, a top, top team in CONCACAF. Um, and for us, we've got our sights solely set on them. We're not looking at any other team because, like you say, you don't know who that team's going to be coming in. I think everyone had predicted Jamaica to beat Costa Rica in the last game and they turned out fighting and, and got the result and now we face them. And, and it's the game that we, we wanted and it's the game we needed because we haven't played a, a Central American team for a long time and we need these experiences. Hey there, Max. How are you doing? Good, yourself? Good. Missing you, obviously, in our Whitecaps jersey, but hopefully we don't want you returning too soon to, to the team. We want you all the, the way to the final. I, I asked John this as well. It's This feels like a wide-open tournament. It's like recent years, there's maybe a couple of teams, America, Mexico, that you might think's always going to get to the final, but this seems anyone's for the taking this year. Is that how it's feeling in the camp, and what have you made of the game so far in the tournament? Yeah, honestly, every team, uh, every team surprises uh, others. To be honest, in the group stage, it was a few games that you would have seen uh, a, a team dominate the other one, and uh, it's the opposite way uh, happening. So honestly, uh, it's everyone's cup, and uh, every team has some quality. Every team can hurt the the op opponent. So honestly, uh, um, I believe that now into the quarterfinals, starting tonight for. Uh, for a few, yeah, two, two fixtures. Uh, it's going to be interesting. We're going to watch that, honestly. It's good to, to look at this, uh, what's going on on the other side of the, of the bracket and the, the Mexico-Andreas game as well. But uh, every team can beat anyone, that's for sure. So the thoughts of John Herdman and Maxime Crapeau there just on the wide-open Gold Cup. Fingers crossed Canada can get it done. And next weekend, we'll be talking about a Gold Cup final and maybe even lifting the big one. Talking of gold, 
The aspiration to get a gold medal at the Olympics is what is spurring on the Canadian women's national team. So we'll finish this part off with a, a bit of a chat about them. The Olympics are underway in Tokyo. I've got to be honest, I can't think of any other Olympics I've had any less interest in. This Same. one just has not grabbed me at all. No, no, I couldn't dis- I couldn't agree with you more, I should yeah. say. I, actually, um, I have it on the screen right now, and some Canadian woman in judo grabbed this Polish woman and held her until she submitted. It was crazy. And held her but until she gave her a medal up. You like to do that with the COVID protocol. Yeah, apparently in judo you are. Um, I, you know what? I, uh, yeah, I, I, it, I'm basically on the same page as you guys, except for the football. Um, no, even even the football, I have barely even watched that. All. I, I I haven't watched any of the men's. I haven't don't even I know. Watched the men's. I, yeah, I haven't even watched the German stuff with the men's. But I have watched. I didn't watch the first game, the the nice one one against host Japan. But I watched the 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 game against Chile the other night, and it was it was fun to watch. Like it was it was an enjoyable game. Uh, they needed they should have won by more, and they really needed to win by more, and they could have definitely won by more. But it was. It was engaging. It was an engaging contest in ways that I didn't think it would be. I, the funny I think... thing. Oh, you go, Steve. Uh, the funny thing to me was that uh, after the Japan Canada game, the people were criticizing Canada for drawing Japan, where, where I was thinking like they're former World Cup yeah. champions and, and they're playing on their home soil. I think a 1 1 draw is a decent result against them. Yeah, it is, but these groups are also crazy. Very groups. tight. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's quickly look at, at Canada's group. They, they've got two games under their belts, as you mentioned. They're undefeated, but they're sitting second in Group E, two point back of Team GB, which is basically the English players with, a, I think, a Welsh player and one Scottish player in there. Uh, they play each other on Tuesday, so mm-hmm. Canada could finish first, second or third, depending on how the other results go. They lose to Team GB and Japan do the business against Chile, which you feel they will could be a third place finish and a very very tough road ahead then for the for the ladies after that is the last time the canada i know it's not england but is the last time they played england's last team gb that game at bc place in the quarterfinals of the world world they, Cup, they played they a friendly in april and they beat them yeah they beat that was them, against man. england okay and they also played wales and they they beat them so i mean you could say they're going into as favorites i mean they, they drew 1-1 with japan on wednesday as you mentioned uh Sinky gave them a sixth-minute lead in her 300th game, which was fantastic. Gave up a late equaliser six minutes from time. Got past Chile 2-1 on Saturday. Becky missed a penalty, then got a brace either side of half-time, but then they gave up a penalty just before the hour mark. It does feel that they could maybe have done with potting a few more in that. Yes. The quarterfinals, like if, if they can win their group, it's going to be a lot easier road in the quarterfinals. Yes. If they finish second or third, that is... I don't know that they get past the quarterfinals and even get a chance to get to a medal game. Yeah. And it's you so desperately want that because if you get a good draw in the quarterfinal, then you're playing for a medal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, you're, exactly. you're, if, if, if they win, finish third, they're basically playing Sweden You've got two or chances to get a medal then after that. Yeah. yeah. I'm just utterly confused by the way this, this thing is set up because, number oh. one, it confuses me because they got... Um, a, B, C, and D groups, A, B, C, and D for the men. And then they yeah. start with E for the women's, which I know. is so odd. I was looking They're... at it today and I was like, where's where's the other groups if we're starting in, in group E? I got very confused. <laughs> I did too. But I mean, something that's put the cat amongst the pigeons is 
the US lost their first game. Yeah, Sweden yeah. 3-0. Is, is P. Hagen still the coach of, of the Swedish no. team? Oh, Swedish team? Oh. I have no idea. I don't know. Look, the Americans I'll, look, the I'll look the... No, their they're head coach is Peter Gerdhausen. So no. definitely not the... Yeah, the thing I loved most about it was the tweet that went viral of Caitlin Murray. I mean, she's a great... US journalist. I'm not knocking her. She's a, a really good journalist. She covers the women's game fantastically. But she wrote an article for ESPN saying, are the Olympics too easy for the US? And then they lose the first game 3-0. It's like, mwah. Absolutely beautiful. They, they bounce back. back. A six win. Six win, yeah. win over New Zealand, of course. But yeah. now, if they finish second, that throws everything up because Canada could finish second and play them or yeah, it, it it's great the US media is like what I was talking about with England and why yeah. I hate the English national yeah. team it's the, the cockiness team, sure. they just it's like oh yeah we're going to steamroll we're going to do this we're going to win and it makes you hate the team so much very much so but it's going to be interesting I, I'm not liking the TV coverage here and when a lot of this stuff is on obviously it's through the night so you're either having to stay off and avoid the result or you know the results, you kind of don't want to watch the, the full game. I've been trying to, to watch the men's Olympic football games, and I've had to do it through BBC iPlayer, because on, on TELUS you've got a channel where you can click, and it's like, filter by sport, and they're only showing the Canadian women's soccer. None of the men's soccer, none of the other soccer. I don't just want to watch Canada, I want to watch the tournament. Yeah. I, I just find that very, very frustrating. Well, they, they 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 might not show it on on the the afterwards, but the live they show all the sports CBC coverage, like they'll show it live. Uh, if you were in America, you would not see absolutely anything other than. As, but live through the night—that's the problem. Yeah, like, that's the problem. You got to record. You essentially got to you got to record it yourself. If you it, it's worse it. in the UK. I only found this out this morning. The IOC have sold the rights. I think for all of Europe, uh, but definitely for the UK, to a Discovery Plus channel, the American channel. So they've got the rights to pretty much all the live games. BBC's only allowed to show two live events at the same time, whereas the previous years that you could watch every single event live online on their iPlayer, stuff like that. So folk have been complaining because they're not able to watch stuff. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Wish Canada well. Obviously, we'll be watching the games. We'll be cheering them on. I, I just I, struggling I think, to get into this. Yeah, I think they. I think they definitely will get to the next round because the third place team in Group F is China, and they're minus five right now. Mm. With Zambia being minus seven. Oh yeah, so they defi- they're, they're definitely they're through. Defi- they're definitely points. through at this point, but it's just a matter of uh, where they spot and where they get uh, placed against. Well, let's hope the only positives we talk about with the Canadian team is the results on the pitch and not COVID testing. I, I'm still not sure whether the big outcome out of this, if we're going to be talking about the long jump or long COVID, but I guess we'll we'll see how that goes. And there's been more athletes and officials test positive now and gone down with stuff than any other virus at the Olympics, even more than STDs in previous years, so... I mean, that that's surely a plus anyway. But that is it for our national team chat. We're going to keep talking about Canada now, but domestically, as the next two parts are dedicated to the Canadian Premier League. And we'll be back with that after this. Hey, it's Marco Bustos. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Man, whoa, 
inside the tip Well don't you know, it's only a dip A loose hands with a rusty plan It just goes hand in hand A church and cook, share a room A tick of names in the yearbook too I don't believe it can't be true Half a pair on a council list Name is body under Blackfire Bridge I know the tale but it ain't no myth A man becomes a sad again Well don't you know son it's in your head Just don't speak of what was said Well don't you know you're out of your depth A loose hunch with a rusty plan It just goes hand in hand New day is dawning All change in the city of glass Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we're continuing songs tied with Vancouver and the CPL teams coming home to their home cities, getting to play in front of home fans. That was a song from 2002, English band Ikara Colt from their album Chat and Business, and that was City of Glass. They were a short-lived English band, really loved that album, worth checking out. They had two albums, decided that they didn't want to have a career that made them stay about too long in the music business, so called it a day. After that, haven't reformed, but they've left that great album as their legacy. And as I mentioned, it's not just the Whitecaps that are getting back home, it's the eight Canadian Premier League teams as well. The kickoff tournament in Winnipeg has wrapped up after a gruelling month of matches. Each team played eight games, there were 68 goals, some great individual performances, but a lot for the players to contend with. A, a number of injuries, some frankly unacceptable living conditions, more on which in the next part. Now, we've covered this before, but if anyone is unaware, the Canadian Premier League's 2021 season is made up of a single table. 28 games, single table, top four teams at the end of that are going to progress into the end of season playoffs. The first eight games took place in a kind of bubble tournament in Winnipeg. It was mostly matchups between the Eastern teams and the Western teams to kind of cut down on the travel later on in the season. And after Phase 1, it's three Western teams that make up the top three places. Valor, Pacific FC and Cavalry FC. Now, in this part, we're going to look at the four, what I'm calling, Western teams, because I'm including Winnipeg's Valor FC in that. We're going to look at the four Eastern teams and some other issues around the league in the next part. We'll take a look at the records of each of the teams, the standout performers... For the Western teams, we're going to hear from all the head coaches. Wasn't able to chat to all the head coaches of the Eastern teams, but we have every team represented with some audio and some chat in the next two parts. So let's kick things off with a look at the hosts of the kickoff tournament, the current table toppers, Valor FC. Now, they may have gone down to Halifax Wanderers 1-0 in their last game, but they finished with six wins out of eight, They're leading the table just now by four points. They've got 18 points in total. 
All six of their victories came with clean sheets. They were also the second highest scorers from these first eight games, 12 goals in total, but the best goal difference of plus nine. Canadian Austin Ricci leads the golden boot race in the league with four goals. Right behind him is Kiwi Moses Dyer. He has three. And naturally, head coach Rob Gale, after a difficult first two seasons in the league, is very happy with how things have played out for his team, especially considering that they didn't have any pre-season preparation for this. Now, yes, some folk will say, well, they did have the advantage of playing all eight of their games on home turf and in front of fans, but you still have to get the job done, and they most certainly did that. So let's hear a little bit now from head coach Rob Gale. Obviously not the, the way you'd look to, to finish the, this part of the, the season, but I mean, looking back on these first eight games, fantastic performance by your team. Defensively in particular, they, they've looked really strong. What's your main positives that you're going to take out of this now moving forward? And what's the main things you feel you, you need to work on with this group? I think we've scored most goals out of anybody in the bubble too. So I wouldn't say it was just defensive, uh, conceded the least. So they're building blocks to go on. But I think um, we've got Arnold to add to the mix, Brett Levi's. Jose hasn't been featured yet. So I'm looking forward to having a full squad to select from and and building on on some of the good work that they've done. Looking at the the standings, and it's obviously like super early in the season, but I mean, for the top five are Western teams, if we include you as a Western team, you're all going to be playing each other for about 80% of your your games for the, the rest of the year. What are you expecting from this league for the rest of the year? Are you going to be the guys that they're all going to be gunning for now? I think it's going to be a slog. It's an absolute slog. If you look at the schedule, we've got three more of these bubbles. We're just not in a bubble to do it. It's eight games a month over the next three months of throwing the Canadian Championship. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a battle game by game. Uh, and it's physically and mentally demanding on these young lads. And I, I can't fault the, the effort today. I thought... Uh, you know, we really tried to to keep our foot on the throttle. I think we had about 65% of possession. The second half in scorching heat, terrible time of day to play the game again in the, in the prairies, the time that we were told we wouldn't be training. And it, it's a challenge. So I think we can build off of that. The effort is there. The character is there. And just today lacked a little bit of the, the usual penetration that we've been finding. But um, no, it's going to be good football matches. But Pacific uh, Cavalry everybody's uh, picks to, to make the playoffs. Um, and Edmonton are showing that they're a good side too. So uh, there's a lot of parity across the league and just take it game by game. Thanks so much, Rob, and good luck for the rest of this season. Thanks, Michael. Valor FC head coach Rob Gale there. Very happy with his size performance. He does know, though, that there's still a lot to work on. Still a long road ahead and some very tough matches coming in the the rest of this 20-game regular season campaign. But they've got the points on the board early. That is the big, big thing. Right now, they've got a nine-point lead from the first team out with the playoff places. So that's a handy little cushion to have. And all of that, of course, has been helped by them only giving three goals up in this first phase of the season. Six clean sheets, all of them recorded by Jonathan Sirwa, a goalkeeper on loan from CF Montreal. Now, if that name is familiar to you, 
That is because he is the player that came to the Whitecaps on an emergency loan during the MLS's back tournament in Orlando when the Whitecaps goalkeeping core was stretched to the limit really and they had to bring in an emergency backup. In these first eight games, he's played in seven of them and he kept clean sheet for 584 minutes, a CPL record and you feel that's a record that's certainly going to be tough to beat. Great performance from the young man, certainly making a name for himself, just as Max Cropot did when he was with Montreal and was loaned to Ottawa, winning the USL Goalkeeper of the Year awards. When you get loaned out, you want to make a name for yourself. Jonathan Sirwa has done that. Let's hear a little bit from him just now. Hey Jonathan, I wanted to just ask, I've asked a couple of players this and a few others have spoken about it, just about the toll a tournament like this takes on on your body. Now you're a goalkeeper that's playing every single game, you've maybe not been playing as as many minutes for for a few years now, how have you personally found the gruellingness of of this kind of tournament? Uh, I think it's more grueling for me uh, uh, mentally. Uh, physically, uh, I kind of felt fine. I had a little break uh, right in the middle uh, where uh, Matt played uh, against York, so it, it gave me it gave my body a little time to to rest. And for sure, I have a little uh, injuries here and there, but um, overall, my my body feels fine because uh, in preseason, either in Montreal or especially here with Baller, I worked very hard with Patrick uh, and uh, the whole physical staff to to keep me in shape and, and get me ready for the, this bubble because. Going in, I knew that I was going to have to play a lot of games in a short amount of time, so I prepared uh, for that. And you obviously had a taste of bubble life last year at the MLS is back tournament. Even involved you coming to to the Whitecaps for for a little spell. How how have you found this environment compared to what you had in Orlando last year? It's very similar. It's very similar uh, when we compare the fact that we play almost every three to four days. Uh, it's very similar to the fact that pretty much every team is all stuck in the hotel. So it's pretty much all the same sort of circumstances. And uh, uh, just living it last year helped, helped me get a bit more ready, uh, especially mentally, uh, coming into this bubble. That's great. Thanks so much and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Valor FC goalkeeper Jonathan Sirwa there. Definitely looking forward to seeing what he can do in the rest of this CPL regular season. Montreal, like the Whitecaps, certainly seem to be a a good goalkeeping development club. It's what he does after this. I mean, he's got to be playing. Maybe a regular move to the CPL will be in his future, or maybe something bigger. Who knows? So Valor FC, topping the table right now. Sitting behind them, four points back in second place are Pacific FC, just ahead of Cavalry FC on goal difference. Now, we've obviously talked a lot about Pacific in the last few shows, Pamadou Ka's men have been playing some lovely football. They're the high scorers in the league, 13 goals from their 8 matches. They're on 14 points from 4 wins, 2 draws and 2 defeats. Marco Bustos, Alejandro Diaz and Josh Herd all have 3 goals apiece. Bustos leaks the lead with 4 assists. Orly Bassett has 2. They're playing some great stuff. We have talked a lot about them before. We've played you some great interviews with Matteo Polisi and Orly Bassett. Heard from James Merriman, the assistant coach as well, in the last show. So if you haven't checked that out, do that. Episode 465. Now, Pamadou Ka was suspended for their last match in the tournament. 
So that gives a chance to speak to James Merriman, the assistant coach, just to find out what he's made of Pacific's first eight games, what he's looking forward to working on and expecting for the rest of this season. Hi James, congratulations on keeping your 100% record as a head coach. <laughs> what, what did you make of that game? I mean, from watching at home, it was just absolutely wild, but the, the sending off obviously changed things a little bit, but you still had to get the job done. Talk a little bit about the, the fighting spirit of your team. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a disappointing start. Very, very slow start from us. Um, with the first goal and then and then conceding a second um you know but the thing that we continue to speak about is resiliency and being resilient and that being in our dna and in our character as a team and we want to show that so absolutely we showed that we showed a lot of character to come back to stay confident in ourselves to stay you know confident in the team we're very positive at halftime we knew we started slow we knew we gave away the first 20 minutes Obviously, the red card and the, and the penalty were, were big changes in the game as well. But we did have a high, you know, confidence and, and belief that we could come out of this game and, and get the result that we wanted. So we kept that all the way through. The whole team during this tournament has done really well. But the attack in particular has, I think, really caught many people's attention and their eye. And it doesn't seem to matter who you have in there. You've got players that can just come and go. Tern Campbell gets his goal tonight, Diaz hat-trick. It seems that you've got a lot of attacking power there that should be bode you well for the, the rest of the season to come. Yeah, it's very, uh, you know, it's very competitive. And that's something that we wanted. We wanted that competition in our in our own team for, for starting positions and players to play minutes. Um, and we've got two strong players in every position up front. You know, we've got two excellent strikers. We've got uh, wide forwards on the right side, wide forwards on the left side that can come in. They're very versatile. They can, they can play on the left, play on the right. Um, you know, and two, two big pieces uh, are still not even in consistently, which is obviously Matthew Baldissimo and Nico Blasco. So, you know, those guys bring a lot. Uh, Blasco has a great chemistry with Diaz and Bustos and others in our team. So we're really excited to add back to the mix. You know, we have options, which is, a, which is a good thing. Congratulations and safe travels back to BC. Thanks. Appreciate it. Pacific FC assistant coach James Merriman there. So Pacific's sitting pretty in second spot. As I mentioned, just ahead of Cavalry FC in goal difference in third. The Cavs have 14 points as well from their 4-2-2 two two record. Defensively, they've been excellent. They've just given up one goal game average. A star performer for them has been centre-back Dan Klomp. The Dutch centre-back has really excelled in these first eight matches. Head coach Tommy Fielden Jr. has been raving about him. And when you you think about who they've had as centre-back in the past in the CPL, they've had Joel Waterman, who's moved on to the MLS with Montreal. They've had Dominic Zator, who's still in the CPL, but was getting rave plaudits, got called up to the Canadian national team. Tommy Wielden feels that Klomp is better or has the potential to be better than both of those guys. So, I mean, great scouting by Cavalry. It's It's been a, a good, solid start to the tournament. They've got the points on the board early. They started off with two wins. They finished with two wins. They've got a little bit of a gap between the chase and pack. 
Let's hear the thoughts of how they've performed so far and what he's expecting for the rest of the season now from Cavalry FC head coach, Tommy Holden Jr. Hey Tommy, how are you doing tonight? Uh, always good when you've got three points in the bank, Michael, you know that. That's very true. I mean, looking back then at, at, at th- these first eight games, I mean, you, you started the kickoff tournament strongly, you finished it strongly, paid a back-to-back wins, 14 points out of 24, one goal, a- goal against average. How are you looking at, at these first eight games and what's the main positives and negatives that you're, you're taking back to Calgary with you? You know what, my, I mean... We're, we're level on points in, in second play. You've got to be in the top four. So we've seen this as, you know, it's eight road games, a chance to really blend the team together because we hadn't really had a pre-season. So we got to know them, got to put people in different formations, different balances and see which relationships work. We went on a dry spell, four games without a goal. So that was something to come through. Um, but, you know, a goal era there, suddenly we're, we're sitting pretty up there with Valor. Um, but in reflection... Sometimes, you know, the hardest the, the road to the top is whatever's in front of you. And we had to get through that, come through it. And I tell you, that's something we'll look back on and go, we showed the character now to put ourselves in the mix. Um, but yeah, it's good. Listen, if you've got eight road games, we're actually going to play 11 games here at IG Field this season and only 10 at Spruce Meadows. So we've got to get good at being on the road. I didn't know that. That's, that's an interesting start. I mean, another start to throw at you then, you look at the top five just now, and three of the other four teams in the top five are the guys that you're going to play 80% of the rest of your matches against. So what are you expecting now for, for the rest of the season? It's, it's almost a totally different concept, isn't it? You know, um, it'd be nice to be playing back on grass at Cofield at Spruce Meadows because the pitch has been done, the lights have gone in, um, and, it's, and it's like a putting green. So it'll be a different game because it's, it's rock hard here. And you can see with the number of injuries that are starting to mount up across the teams, it's a tough place to come and play. Um, so to get back to the grass will be huge for us. We want to use that playing back in front of our fans who are incredible. Um, so, yeah, we've we got to just concentrate on winning as many home games as we can and keep trying to steal points on the road as, as best we can. You've been quite honest, Tommy, about what the Winnipeg bubble was for you. And yes, you wanted as many points as you could get, but it was also about learning about your roster on the fly and what they bring and what they're actually like in game situations. So what are some of the big things that you've learned about this club and these players in the last eight games? We're certainly evolving. Um, We're younger. Uh, We are more dynamic in terms of where we're at. Uh, you know, we've still got that seasoned vets, as you've seen today. Nick Ledgerwood was like Peter Pan and uh, uh, Mason Trafford. You know, we're just starting to feel a little tightness. So we had to make sure we managed him. But there's a really nice blend. Um, there's, you know, uh, to, to use the All Blacks philosophy, there's no dickheads. And I think that's important because we, uh, we, we want to make sure that we're a team that's hard to play against. But off the pitch, we're, we're great in the community and we're great around the club and we represent our crest very, very well. So we're learning that the guys that we've recruited off-season there, um, and there's a nice blend here. There's a very, very intelligent group because we went through about four different formations at some point in today's game. Um, so, yeah, we're happy with it. And I tell you, now we're starting to get that chemistry because we've been in tough games. That's where you start fostering that, that thing. And, and you see that with Forge. You know, they've been together a long time now and, and you know, one or two here. We've had, you know, more than 50% of our roster has changed, but we're still there, thereabouts. Cavalry FC head coach Tommy Fielden Jr. there with his thoughts on how the Cavs have done through their first eight games. They're certainly going to be looking forward to getting back to Calgary 
and I'm hoping to possibly get out to a game at Spruce Meadows. Really enjoyed my trip there. It's been a very good base for them, so they'll certainly want to make advantage of their their home games. Of course, the other Albertan side, FC Edmonton, they have a new head coach at the helm. We spoke to him a couple of shows ago. Friend of the show, Alan Koch. And it's been a, a tough start to Alan in his time with the Eddies and the CPL. They're currently sitting sixth in the table. Four points back from Forge in fourth spot, so still very much in touch with a lot of the season still to play for. They've got two wins, two draws and four defeats on their record. They've only scored six goals though. Second lowest goal scorers in the league at this point. But they have got the second best goals against record. They've only given seven goals up. And that was certainly something that you noticed from the Eddies in last season when they were at the Island Games. Defensively, they were solid. We talked about it was a good base to build from. They just had to get the goals from somewhere. That struggle just now, definitely they need to look at adding a goal scorer. I'm not sure that Easton Ungaro is the man that's going to be the guy that gets the goals for them. So they might have to look at adding something, maybe a loan, see who they can get in from that. But let's hear the thoughts now from the start of the season from Eddie's head coach, Alan Koch. Not the way you would obviously have looked to, to end this, this part of the season, but eight points on the board, some good experience with the guys together. What's the main positives that you're taking from this tournament or these eight games? And, and what do you feel are the big aspects that you still need to work on with the team? Yeah, it's difficult to look at the, the positives after you've just lost a game, obviously, but it's uh, that's really the biggest thing that we've tried to go through here is growth and progression and i think to take this club from one point last year to eight points uh this year shows growth and shows progression um but we're hungry for more uh we feel like we have a decent group we're trying to maximize the group uh, i feel like when our group puts in a 90 plus minute shift we give ourselves a very good chance to to win any game uh, in this league um, but when we we pick and choose moments in games. Uh, maybe today's game is a bad example because our group was incredibly fatigued. Three games in five days is very, very difficult. Uh, but there were other games a few weeks ago where we were a little bit more fresh and we were still making mistakes. Um, so we we know we've got a long way to go. We've, we've got a lot of things still to to work on. Um, I think it's safe to say finishing. Obviously, it needs to be better. I think we created countless opportunities in the game today and in other games uh, during the course of this bubble. But We've got some good guys up front. We just need to get them going. We need to push them in training and get them confident and get everybody on the same page. Um, so more positives than negatives, 100%. We feel like we're going in the right direction, uh, but we're definitely still hungry for more. Looking at the, the standings as they are, and it's obviously very early in the season, so you can't read too much into things, but the top three just now are the teams that you're going to be playing 80% of the rest of your season against. What are you expecting in this run-in? On the plus side, you've got the chance to take points of these guys and they're all going to drop points to each other. But it's a tough road ahead for you. We have uh, by far the most difficult schedule uh, because obviously we've come here, the West has played against the East and for the most part, the West has beaten the East. Um, so we're under no illusions. We know going and playing Calgary and playing Pacific and, and playing Bella are not going to be easy games. But what we've learned from our group here is when we focus on ourselves, when we step up to the plate, we feel confident we can beat anybody. Um, but we, 
we'll take a lot of that. Like uh, obviously coming in, beating Forge early, uh, showed the group has the ability to beat top teams. Um, but we've also shown we have the ability to lose uh, in games too. Um, so we're excited about those challenges. This is a growth year, a little bit of a transition year for us as a club. Um, we'll always spin things in a positive way and, and having a tough schedule means we get great opportunities to test ourselves. How much can we grow through those experiences? But uh, there's no real rest that we're going to go through in the next few days. It's uh, head home, get ourselves ready for the next one and then just keep on marching on until the bitter end. Thanks so much, Arlen. Uh, safe travels and good luck for the rest of the season. FC Edmonton head coach Alan Koch there just giving his thought about the, the tough road ahead for, for his team in particular for, for the rest of the, the CPL season. Calling it a transition year, taking time to build the team. Obviously Edmonton's had a, a bit of a, a tough time in, in the first two seasons. I, I think that's fair. And if he can get into the top four, great. But it's all about building something for the future, I think, in Edmonton right now. I think Edmonton yeah, for- the transition city. Hmm. You move the tractors in, you move the tractors out. For me, this is like a, uh, hopefully, like like what I'm hoping for ultimately, uh, because I like Alan a lot, is that um, that the, he stays coaching with them until the Fraser Valley team comes out, and then Edmonton ownership, like you know, they rash, irrationally do they fire the coach when something th- doesn't go right, and then he's able to take over Fraser Valley because I want to see him back at BC. That's the biggest thing, um, but uh, but overall, I think I think it is going to be a transition year for them. And you're right; they got a tough hand because, like right now, the the other three teams in the West are just so they look so good right now. Now, yeah. obviously, they're they're going to be taking points off each other. That's as well, the thing because so like eighty percent of the 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 remaining games are West v West matchups. Yeah. So points are getting dropped. If any team can string wins together, they're they're they've got a chance to do it but these top three teams getting those points on the board now massive for them gives yeah. them a huge boost still a long way to go 20 games but yeah it, it's it's been fun watching them the the west has definitely been best in the kickoff tournament but we're going to turn our attention to the eastern teams next and we'll be back with that after this hi i'm alan Koch, and you are listening to the aftn soccer show well this is our story but it ain't the truth, cause the truth's just for liars Need an excuse around here, love's a gangster And charity's the proof where God deals on Sundays Under a rain-burning roof It's five blocks of universe And aliens for each like invisible Ghettos of privilege and grief And pinned up between them Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio. 
101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, continuing our returning home to Vancouver theme for the songs at the starts of parts 3, 4 and 5, Canadian artist, Vancouver artist, Matthew Good, with a song taken from his 2009 album called Vancouver, his fourth solo album, that was the Vancouver National Anthem. Matt Good, of course, an iconic local artist here in Vancouver, one of the first Canadian artists I actually got into when I was over here visiting the east coast of Canada on holiday in 1996, got into the Matthew Good Band, got into Our Lady Peace as well, gave me something to bond with my Canadian wife Caitlin with in the early days as we chatted about music and a whole host of other things, got to meet the man himself as a book signing as well here in Vancouver, embarrassingly my wife throwing herself at a table over him to get a picture taken. Never thrown herself at me like that, but that's a whole other story. We're going to continue chatting Canadian Premier League in this part, and we're going to turn our attention to the four Eastern teams. Now, the best placed of those through the first eight matches, the kickoff tournament in Winnipeg, are defending champions, back-to-back defending champions, Forge FC. They're sitting fourth in the table right now, with four wins and four losses, 12 points, They have had so many injuries and a lot to deal with in this early stage. So actually getting those 12 points on the board kind of feels like something of a victory for Bobby Smirniotis' men. They've got a a lot of games coming up, including heading to El Salvador in the CONCACAF League. Both the matches in the two-legged tie having to get played there due to travel restrictions. So that's forced a little bit of rescheduling for some of their CPL games. Star performers for them during the first eight matches. Kyle Becker, as always, leading the team with three goals, but as his former TFC man, Mo Babuli. And it has been a bit of a hard slog for Bobby Smyrniotis' men, as I mentioned. Let's hear a little bit now from the head coach, just chatting about that and what he's expecting for the rest of this season. If I had told you going into this that you'd have 12 points on the other end, uh, would you be happy with that? And all things considered, are you, are you happy with where you're at now? Well, coming into this, I think, you know, we knew where we were with our preparation, which was uh, minimal. Um, we knew based off of history what could possibly happen with injuries. I could tell you I never would have thought that I've had so many as I did. But, you know, 15 were points we're looking at. You know, you come out of this uh, with 15 points, I think we, we'd be happy. That's why we're a little bit upset today and we look back to the games and I think we deserve points except for that first game going back to uh, to Valor, uh, first game where we lost 2-0. Uh, but after that, I think we deserve points in, in every game, including tonight, um, where we weren't at our best in that first 45. Um, and that's a lot of differences, uh, a lot of things. You know, there's tactical adjustments, there's players playing a little bit all over the place. Uh, you know, we've had Garvin Matusala go down in the first uh, 20 minutes there. Um, so I've been kept on my toes over here, that's for sure. Uh, this is sort of just a general question on how you handle this, because you've had to handle so much in the last, I mean, lots of teams have, but nobody more than you guys over the last uh, nearly a year now. Is this, I mean, it's a little longer break, but it's not a big one. Just, is there any kind of restart involved here, or is this just a transition? You've got to make some adjustments now. Starting again Monday, home field, a new field, the guys haven't seen yet, uh, uh, living different place again than they have been for a month. What, how, how you handle that? 
I think everyone will have a massive smile on their face, uh, Milty, once we get back to Tim Hortons Field. We're on that new turf uh, where the ball will move better for us, uh, quicker for us, sit on the floor a little bit more for us. Um, so I think uh, that's that. I think the biggest thing we have to look at, uh, in all honesty, is is where we are and uh, and where we are with the injuries coming in on uh, on these next couple of days, um, because uh, there is no break here. You know, Friday we have a match with uh, with uh, with York Nine, uh, York United. Sorry. Um, so the games are coming. This uh, this isn't the, the end to something. This is the eighth game of the season. Uh, and that's the one thing that I made uh, clear to the guys is uh, making sure we understand that, that uh, nothing finishes here. It's game number eight. And uh, before you know it, we're on to game number nine and so on and so forth. Forge FC head coach Bobby Smirniot is there. So Forge is sitting in fourth in the standings, three points ahead of fifth placed York United, the first team outside the top four playoff places. York's had two wins, three draws and three defeats in the tournament, but they finished with a bang, a hard-fought 1-0 win over FC Edmonton in the very last match of the kick-off tournament. Definitely what the doctor ordered for Jim Brennan and his men. Let's hear a little bit now from York's head coach, Jim Brennan. Obviously a a very good way to, to end this part of the season. When you look back at these eight games, what are the positives that you're taking back now to Ontario with you and what do you feel the team really needs to work on right now? I think you're always you're always improving, aren't you? Every training session, um, you're trying to get better and better and better. Um, I think one thing the, that we take away from this is that we've, we've got a bunch of guys that are committed, um, that are willing to learn. Um, they'll leave everything out on the pitch. You know, we ask guys playing out of position um, that just didn't hesitate um, and filled in for, for others, filled in roles for others. Um, and I think if you look at it as well, these young guys that we have, they can play. They can play at this level. Um, a lot of times you, you give young boys an opportunity and, and they they don't take them, they don't embrace them. Whereas I think these, these young guys uh, have embraced their opportunity um, and we said it from day one, we'll never stop you from, exp- uh, from expressing yourself out in that pitch. Um, and they've, they've grabbed this opportunity with two hands. Um, you know, be, uh, it was very difficult um, coming into this, um, especially having a lot of players that we haven't really seen. Um, and that's going to take some more time. Uh, it's going to take more time for, for players to settle in, um, for the foreigners to settle in as well. It's been a difficult uh, time for them. Um, but I just think the energy that we have um, and the pace and power that we have when we go forward at times is uh, it's incredible. So, you know, the, we, if I look at it, there's been a, an awful lot of positives um, through this whole experience over the last number of weeks um, that we need to build on. And we'll get back on the training pitch and uh, definitely improve. And there's there's a lot, a lot of negatives as well that we need to fix and we have to fix. And um that will come eventually when we get back into a routine and we can get back on the training pitch and, and start working on it. Obviously, it's very early in the season to start talking about playoffs and the like, but that win does move you up to, to fifth place. It's three points back off the top four. When you look at the top three, they're all Western teams. They're all going to be the teams that's playing each other for like 80% of the season. So it must give you a lot of hope. There's still a lot of points that's going to get dropped and there's still a, a, a lot of this season to play out. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, in the, in the back of your mind, you're always watching the team. Um, every day you're having a little look at it. 
just see where you are. And you start putting the numbers together. If this team loses, we can jump them and we can climb up the table a little bit. But look, at the end of the day, we, we've got to be realistic and we've got to take each game as it comes. And we've got to focus on our next one in Forge um, and, and get our three points. Um, playoffs is a long, long way away. Uh, and right now it's, it's to continue um, the momentum that we, we've, we've gained in this match um, and bring that to the next game um, and just keep improving and picking up points as we go along. Because these games here, look, it wasn't pretty. It was, it was ugly at times for us. Absolutely ugly. But you need to grind games out. Not all games are going to be, will go your way and, um, and you're going to control all the game. It doesn't work like that. Um, but I was delighted with our commitment today to grind the game out and, and come away with a clean sheet and three points. Um, and those three points go a long way for you. Um, so we're, we're, we're happy with it. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see over the next number of games where, where we are, but we're, we're not looking too far ahead right now at the playoffs. Thanks so much, Jim, and good luck for the rest of the season. Sure. York United head coach Jim Brennan there. So Forge and York in the chasing pack, Edmonton in sixth place, in seventh place, Halifax Wanderers with two wins, two draws and four losses. Eight points from their eight games, minus four goal difference. Lowest scores though, with four goals only. So that's something they really, really need to get going. We definitely have not seen the form that we saw from Halifax during last year's Island Games. But they've had a lot to contend with. They lost head coach Stephen Hart to a medical issue. They've had other medical problems as well. Players going down like flies. Bottom of the table, though, still one team below Halifax. That is Ottawa. Atletico Ottawa, another team not having their problems to seek. Ironically, the team that managed to get the most pre-season work in as they jetted over to Spain hasn't helped them, though. Just seven points and two wins and one draw from their eight games. Minus six goal difference. So they've still got a lot of work to do. Their head coach, Mister, was thrown out of their last game against Pacific. So I didn't get a chance to chat to him. But I did get a chance to chat to the Halifax Wanderers assistant coach, Masoud Mert. Here's what he feels about how Halifax have done in this tournament. The importance of getting that win in their last game. And what they're looking forward to, to getting back to Halifax and trying to build on what they've been building. How much does this feel like a game where maybe if you look back on it in a few weeks, a few months, feel like a game that could be kind of a turning point in this season? Yeah. Um, you, I, 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 even now, I think it's a turning point. And given, given how we've, um, you know, the, the games we've played and how we ended up and where we are now, this game is, is already a turning point for us. Uh, we can take uh, back a lot of uh, um, lessons from this game you know, um, to uh, things like, you know, pushing the ball forward, continue to play aggressive, um, aggressively on, on the offense. And, and, you know, we did a little bit of a better job defensively as well. We were very professional in, in, in how we defended and, and pick and choose our moments and when to push the players forward. So definitely a turning point even now. Um, just, um, you know, we need to Take the take the ups uh, the the lessons we've gotten here today. We've learned to, uh, today and in, in, in the last month here, and build uh, build on them uh, getting back home. Just kind of following on from that. I mean, you, you look at the standings just now, and it's obviously single table this year. But you're you're four points back from Forge and fourth. 
when you look at for the top five, it's kind of the Western teams. So these are the teams that's going to be taking points off each other and dropping points. You must feel you've still got such a, a lot to play for and using that home advantage and the travel advantage of being in, in Halifax. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be massive for us, I think. And it's something to, to really look forward to and, and build uh, and really you know, um, look at those games that are coming up and really build the confidence, uh, especially doing that uh, closer to home, whether it's, you know, just flying into Ontario or, or playing those games at home. Um, we have to, we have to make sure that we, we, you know, are, are very focused in, in the games coming up. Uh, we also have to make sure that we don't take any of these teams lightly. Um, you know, if, if some of those, um, Western teams can can battle it out and and take uh, points off each other. That that works in our favor, but um, we still have to play the game on our side. We still have to um, build the points uh, to challenge the top four spot. Um, but you know, uh, coming out of this bubble, um, very confident in in our squad, in how they prepare, in how they approach games. Um, even given the experience we've had here in the bubble, um, you know. Uh, not not getting the results we wanted, but it just builds our character moving forwards. And, uh, you know, we can't wait to get back home and, and keep working at uh, climbing the table. And you've got so many guys in the squad that's never played a game in Halifax, never played in front of home fans, never had all the, the fun travel, I, I guess, as well, going back and forward to, to places What's this next week going to look like for you guys? Are you going to kind of show them videos of what the atmosphere was like just to kind of get them a little bit G'd up for for that first game? No, listen, I think they already know what it's going to look like. We have we have had players uh, that have played in front of that crowd. They're constantly talking. Uh, they've seen they've seen highlights um, on, on social media and what it's like. Listen, playing in front of that crowd uh, for these players is not going to be any any sort of pressure, but it's going to be more, you know, they will build from it. They will grow from it. It's the type of atmosphere you want to play in front uh, when you're playing at home, knowing that they're cheering for you and not against you. And that is, and as a professional athlete, um, that is massive on, on the mind. That's great. Thanks so much and safe travels home. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Halifax Wanderers assistant head coach, Mesut Mert there. So, the the Eastern teams definitely have a, a lot of ground to make up in the standings, but as we said, the the teams from the West are all going to play each other, they're going to drop points. Obviously, the teams in the East have all got to play each other, so some teams will drop points. But it's the, charge, the chance for, like, Forge and York to possibly make, make a run. And, I mean, Halifax... What they've gone through at this tournament with injuries and with losing Coach. Stephen Hart. And, I mean, he should be back soon. But it, it's it's been really, really tough for them. I mean, in general, though, it's like been grueling conditions in Winnipeg for, for all the teams. And there was an interesting quote today I'm going to read you from York United goalkeeper Nicky Jainsopoulos. He tweeted, The past five weeks, we were put in a hotel that didn't have a gym or a pool for recovery. We only had 90 minutes of fresh air per day. We slept in rooms where dust continuously blew out of the air vents. We drove on buses with no air conditioning and were served meals that were below average. They also had to play in games with temperatures in the 30s regularly 
and they couldn't train as much and there was disruption with thunderstorms. For me, absolutely, totally unacceptable conditions. Uh, This is a professional football league. You should not be treating your players like that. And it shows, once again, the need for a union. And I know that the teams are losing money, the owners are losing money, but this is just basic rights for the players. It's so unacceptable. Yeah, this is where the CPL, uh, we mentioned it earlier, like in back in February or March or whenever we talked about it. I can't remember what month it was. It was quite a while ago. Uh, we talked about that. Don't have to do much. Just acknowledge them. Um, listen to them. And tell them that we're going to do everything we can to make it as best as possible for them. Like if you just gave them the time, of, not the time of day, I don't want to be like sounding like they have to be dismissive, but they just needed to show them that they were um, listening to them. And it seemed like they weren't at all. And uh, that's what you you get. Uh, like, and so in, when that happens, then you're going to get people pol- polarized. There's going to be polarizing comments like that where they're going to be going against the league, which makes the league look worse. So, uh, yeah, yeah, they might have they might have saved a, a penny here, a dime there, a quarter there, but overall, it doesn't look good on the league when this happens. Obviously, they might make up for it on uh, fines if they are going to find them or not, but we'll see what happens there. They, it, the league chose to bring in an individual who has an approach, and either that's because they wanted that approach or they wanted him for some other reasons. And this is just a byproduct of that. And it, it it's not good. Like this is this as much as they want to say, like, hey, it's a new league. We need to we need to get a, a firm foundation before we um, engage more deeply with a union, blah, blah, blah. Like the supporters are not happy. Like no, the and there, there's no way that anyone, apart from possibly the the state media's Kurt Larson, can read Nikki's tweet and not be appalled at what conditions those guys have gone through. Yeah, oh, I'm sure that that individual you mentioned would yeah have an excuse or a reason, but but yeah, they. I mean, they. I know they keep saying, "Hey, we're, it's not the time. We're not ready. You know, we're not ready." Which is them essentially saying, "Look, we can't afford to do that." That's what they're saying. Yeah, we, we can't afford to do this. If we do this, it'll take away the league. It'll take away these opportunities. It'll but, take I away. Mean, these but jobs. what are they saying? We, we can't afford to give the players air-conditioned buses in thirty-plus degree temperatures. That's I, just. I know. I. I I'm why, on, why would Why would anybody that reads that like? FIFPRO have been like retweeting a lot of PFA Cans tweets and the players' yeah. tweets and stuff like that. Football, it's a world game and it's a small world because players talk. We've talked about this on the show before. If you want to make the Canadian Premier League a destination of choice, players around the world see that and they're like, ooh, yeah. why would I want yeah. to go to and, that? And with, with social media, you're going to get that the word out even faster. That's what makes it a smaller world now because of that. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the thing is, we you have forget uh, leagues or whatever. You have um, uh, teams like the club teams that are you know kids like U uh, 18s and U 16s. They have air conditioning on yeah. the bus. So how how does not a league be able to do that? That's the that's the shocking thing. Like why not get some Volkswagens out there and get them in the air conditioned vehicles I, and stuff? Well, also, why would you book them into a hotel that doesn't have a gym or a pool for recovery? Well, no, apparently the they hell? do. 
the the one thing is they, they, they somebody tweeted at him the the guy you said um sent the tweet out and said there was a, a gym in there but um it's just a matter of were they able to use it because of covid so i don't know if that's the reason why but even then they should have some kind of off-site facility where they should have been able to use like there there yeah. are the gyms are opening up across the country right now so uh, they they should be able to i know they want to they don't want people missing out on games because of covid and everything they want a covid outbreak but you still have to have that ability for people to recover it's mostly for recovery it's not really to work out it's more for recovery because when you're out, done a game, you want to be able to uh, get ready for the next game yeah. and cool down. M- Michael, can I ask you a question? Uh, ben Fisk, is he been kind of blacklisted because he's involved? No, in the I, I, I asked that specific question and no. They, okay. They've been assured that that is not the thing. He is, he's got offers from clubs. He's just not necessarily in Canada. He might be going back to Europe. Okay. So he's just kind of mulling over all his options at the moment. Cool. I, I think it was more players feel that they're worth a certain amount of money. Yeah. That is not maybe forthcoming in the CPL at this point in time. Yeah. The players, of course, they've all been wearing their Can PFA t shirts. Well, seven of the teams have. Forge players surprisingly weren't. Is Hamilton surpri- based Forge players. Is it surprising, though? No, not in the slightest. Well, actually, no, it is because. It, it, if they were told they couldn't by their ownership, I'd like that to get out. If they all chose not to, I find that surprising. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on there. I, I I need to follow up some stuff, but I don't know if it's uh, as obvious as it might seem. Hmm. Maybe they, maybe their delivery just didn't arrive in time or something. Or maybe they washed them and they all ended up pink or something. I mean, stuff like that that happens. But, I mean, conditions on the pitch were tough. It's not going to ease up that much because I looked at the schedule because I've been, like, messaging you to say, oh, there's a game on because you were like, you keep forgetting the games are on. There's games, like, every day or every two days for the next, like, two or three months. It feels like there's a game a day. Uh, They don't have to take charter flights, right? Oh, that I don't know. I I would think no. If they're not if they're not air conditioned hotel rooms. Yeah, not. I don't see them having charter flights. But I mean, it's it's going to be tough. It was tough. I, I just want to play a little bit of audio from two of the players now. So Ottawa's Malcolm Shaw, and Halifax's Alessandro Rigi, just chatting about the conditions there and just looking forward to to getting back to a little bit of normality. Here's what they had to say. I think it's just obviously it's tough for everyone, but I think it's just the load management. Obviously, eight games in four weeks. That's that's a lot. So a lot in our bodies. We're obviously out there every day working hard and putting 100% out there. Um, but yeah, I think you know, obviously this is, we have, we had to, every team had to do this. This is what enabled us to play. So it just comes with it, I guess. But um, it's just, we have to just double down on taking care of our bodies and getting the appropriate rest and just doing the best we can. That's really all, all there is to it because it's, it's challenging at times. In your career, is this the, the toughest stretch you've had to, to play so far? It's up there. I would say this bubble, the Island Games is tough as well because it was a similar format. And uh, I would say also, also college probably. But, but yeah, this is tough. It's definitely up there. Definitely up there. You touched on it as well in one soccer after the game. You've, you've never played there. There's a lot of guys on the team that, that have never actually played in Halifax. Is it going to be a bit weird actually getting back, playing in front of fans when you've had two years now in bubble environments? 
No, I, I mean, look, I can speak for myself. Today we had, uh, I want to say, easily a thousand fans in, in the stadium. And it's life. It just brings back so much life to us, so much joy. Like the reason we, we, you know, we take it for granted when we play, but the fans truly make the game. I mean, what a vibe it was here with, you know, even if it wasn't our supporters, we had a little section of three, four of our own supporters, which we appreciated. But, you know, just the fact of, you know, hearing noise and it just it's, it brings a whole different uh entertainment to the game for us as players so i can't imagine what it's like having 5000 of our people you know chanting and just going crazy and being our, our 12th player for us i think it's just it's going to be an easy an easy transition when we've been looking forward to for for a long time now so yeah i'm, I'm sure i mean last year the the island games that was how the the league had to go this year this has been the best way to start having this this kickoff tournament but the games, they've been coming thick and fast. And like looking at the schedule, there's still every couple of days, there's games for, for teams. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of wear and tear on your bodies? Because we've seen so many players go down with injuries, um, cramping, various things like that. It looks grueling out there. It's a, it's a difficult task. It's a difficult task. I mean, it's very, very hot here. It's very humid as well. Pitch is very... Uh, very hard as well it's not like a soft grass pitch which we have at home <laughs> but um, yeah it eats at your body we we do everything we can luckily we have a great physio a great staff here and you know we do our ice baths and we have all the little gadgets uh, to help us out for recovery and uh, we do our best we do our best that we're happy to play so I mean keep them coming you know Malcolm Shaw and Alessandro Rigi there now Shaw he played in all eight games started seven of them 617 minutes, three goals. He's knackered, uh, understandably. Players, they were going down, there was a lot of injuries in this tournament, there was a lot of cramping, it's just, it's not ideal. But they all have finally headed back to their own cities. League action is getting underway on Friday in Langford, it's Pacific against Cavalry. I had hoped to go through, I'm not now because the Canadian Championship is coming up next month. I'm all booked up for that, so I'm definitely heading through for that. Fingers crossed, nothing derails it. There's just so many players in this league that's never played in the, the cities that they're now calling home. They've never played in front of their fans. So, I mean, it's going to be a great experience for them. It's all about defending your home turf. The CPL teams, the Whitecaps, back in Vancouver. And that brings me nicely now to round off the show with this week's Wavelength. This is a song from 2013 with a group of Philadelphia Union fans. They're called Dive in the Box... This is their song, Defend the River End.
Philadelphia's dive in the box there, defend the River End, defend your home turf. Let's make it Fortress Starlight Stadium. Let's make it Fortress Spruce Meadows. Let's make it Fortress BC Place. I'm optimistic for some of those. We'll, we'll see what happens. But that is it for this week's show. Another bumper show. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. And what did you learn this week, Steve? Um, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapSpeed. And I learned this week that I still don't think that that goal uh, should have been reviewed. That Carlos Vela goal. And he will take that to his grave. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary M. And... I like that Steve and I are friends who can agree to disagree. I'm Michael McCall. Find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. We have a new writer on the site that's going to be having some stuff up this week. Give us a follow on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. Like, subscribe, turn on notifications. And I don't use it much, but we've got an Instagram account, AFT and Soccer. You can give us a follow on that as well. I mean, I, I've learned that despite all the football, I still have time to fit in a New Zealand football match. It was Auckland against Hamilton, a big derby game. I watched that on Friday night. Check it out on YouTube. But that is it for this show. If there's any big breaking news... If any golden news gets revealed midweek, I might be back with a midweek show and a special chat with the new Whitecaps guy. But if not, we'll be back next weekend. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Ali LaRouge and Mon the Caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.